1: Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way
2: tire buying should be. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions, they're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We are in the zone here Tuesday, a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And guess what? We had a pretty fantastic NFL game last night on Monday Night Football. This felt like a contest between the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks that was already a playoff game, even though we just completed week 10 of the NFL season. The NFC is going to have a ton of highly competitive teams fighting tooth and nail in the final six weeks of the regular season to advance to the playoffs. And I think there's probably a decent chance that an NFC team that's good enough to get on a run in the playoffs is going to get left out. Now, that's the exact opposite as the AFC, where the AFC right now, there's only five teams with winning records. Right now in the NFC, there are eight teams that I think it's fair to say are potentially really good. Last night, both of those teams are potentially really good. The Atlanta Falcons got the win, and what's amazing is, last year at this exact moment, the Atlanta Falcons were 6-4, and four, and then they won their final six games of the regular season and got on a hot streak. Can that happen again? Right now, if the season ended today, the Atlanta Falcons would have just advanced to the playoffs with that win over the Seattle Seahawks on the road. Now, Seattle, where they used to never lose, where it used to be impossible to beat them, has now lost a couple of games in a row, and so you factor that in, and we're talking about a fairly significant situation here for the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks. So, Atlanta, here's what your six teams in the NFC would look like right now. Obviously, the Eagles would be your one seed, the Vikings your two, the Saints, your three. The Rams in the four spot, Carolina Panthers in the five, and the Atlanta Falcons in the six, winning the tie break at six and four over the Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks. So, when you break down the rest of the Atlanta Falcons' schedule, can they get hot here? I think it's very likely they beat the Bucks next weekend. Then they have a massive game where the Vikings come to town. Then they get the Saints. Then they get the Bucs again. Then they get the Saints and then they finish with the Panthers. I mean, this is going to be a real battle royale down the stretch in the NFC South where you finish with three straight NFC South games and four of the final six are against the NFC South. Now, to the Falcons, good fortune. Two of those games are against the Bucks, And theoretically, that's going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick on the uh, helming up the Bucks. So they need to win both of those games and then they get the Panthers to finish off the season, I think there's a good chance that that is a division-determining outcome. Meanwhile, I think it's not too soon to ask the question, uh uh-oh, are the Seahawks in trouble? Are the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, given their injuries, given their uh, kind of collapse on the uh, defensive side of the ball, Russell Wilson is trying to do everything for this team? I, I don't know. I don't know whether he has got enough to get this team into the playoffs because the the conclusion of their schedule is really pretty tough. I mean, they got six games left. The 49ers, they should handle with ease, obviously, next weekend. But then, you know, look, they got to go on. They got to play the Eagles. They got to play the Jags. They got to play the Rams. They got to play the Cowboys. I mean, that's not an easy schedule. If I were predicting right now, I would say the Seahawks are going to miss the playoffs, and that would have been a pretty bold prediction coming into this season. Now, Maybe the Rams are going to fall apart a little bit too because the Rams have a brutally difficult final six games as well. So maybe the Seahawks can make a run and end up winning the NFC West. But, man, what a collection of teams coming down the stretch as you try and project who exactly is going to be among this crew in the NFC. Somebody who's really good is going to get left out. It's a shame, frankly, that we couldn't take a couple of the NFC teams and flip them over and let them play. In the AFC playoffs, because I think that's the kind of situation that we're set up for. Appreciate all of you joining us here on a spectacular Tuesday, holiday shortened week. For many of you, we've got a loaded show for you. We're going to talk to Alex Marvez about all things NFL coming up here in the next segment. In uh, hour two, I'm going to try to make sense of the existing insanity that is the uh, college football playoff picture. Hour three, we are going to, uh, to circle back around. Should be a, a pretty good conversation going on there in the, uh, in the third hour as well. Uh, so uh, a lot coming on the show in general, and uh, I appreciate all of you coming and hanging out uh, with us on this Thursday. Um, other thing you should know is we will get into the LeVar Ball interview on CNN, which was just as ridiculous as you would anticipate a LeVar Ball interview on CNN being but Monday Night football now in the books we've got a lot of college football and NFL kicking off early this week so we'll start to break that down for you as we get into our three as well and uh, in general just should be a uh, pretty outstanding show and I appreciate all of you joining us here. want to remind you as always go download the show on podcast if you miss any of our segments if you miss any of our interviews millions of you now going in and downloading the outkick podcast and uh, we appreciate all the support there and uh, I am down in uh, Naples, Florida for, uh, for the holiday weekend. Should be pretty awesome. I appreciate the crew down here hosting me in uh, studio here in Naples. But loaded show coming up for you. I appreciate uh, all of you guys for coming and hanging with us. Again, massive win for the Atlanta Falcons, and the Falcons, I think, now in great shape. We'll see what happens with who is going to get left out. I think this if you break it down, I think the Seahawks are likely, unless they can catch the Rams, and they're one game back now, unless they can catch the Rams down the stretch, I think the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson likely to miss the playoffs based on what the NFC playoff picture looks like right now. So uh, we'll discuss more of that uh, up ahead. But in the meantime, Alex Marvez and everything to do with the NFL will be our breakdown here. We will discuss every team, the playoff picture, all the massive controversies and more. It's Alex Marvez up next here. On Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. Uh, this NFL discussion with Alex Marvez brought to you by our friends at TrueCar. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Alex Marvez with us now. Alex, how bad is the AFC?
3: Horrendously bad. And it starts at the quarterback position. That's the thing about it. You know, I had a story about this last week at SportingNews.com. Six teams entered last weekend in the AFC with winning records. That was it. And it's actually completing the worst three-year stretch for the AFC through week 10 of teams that had winning records. And, and so much of it stems from injuries at the quarterback position, backups playing poorly at the quarterback position. It's just, it's, and it's like a cycle right now. The NFC has that juice. But you know what's so weird about this? The AFC has won three of the past four Super Bowls. And, and honestly, I mean, you got to figure the New England Patriots would be the favorite if they played the Philadelphia Eagles today because of their body of work. So it's the Patriots carrying the entire conference. And maybe the Steelers can get into this mix uh, at some point. You know, they play the Patriots in week 15 that's a game that's going to go a long way toward determining home field advantage through the postseason but new england is still the juice in this or in this conference
2: there's no doubt about that and there's actually only five teams with winning records now in the afc right. and right. baltimore ravens are right now slotted in at the sixth spot at five and five buffalo making a disastrous decision to go with nathan peterman uh what can you tell us about the team's that are outside the mix. Is there anybody right now that has a losing record that you think could get hot and win? Because at this point, it's crazy. You'd need to win five out of six just to finish with a winning record if you're in these positions of these four and six teams. Is there anybody that can do that? Los
3: Angeles Chargers I mean you know when you look at them they play Dallas on Thanksgiving Day and listen how motivated are these Cowboys going to be they already look like they're waving the white flag right just because it just from a physical standpoint they've lost so many people and and Dak Prescott listen he's got he's got to try to pass when he got Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram coming at him I think this is a terrible matchup for the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day and I think it drops the Cowboys to five and six moves the Chargers up a knot and I don't know where things have gone in Kansas City you know it's amazing how quickly they started and then just I think teams caught up with some of the gimmick stuff that they were doing on offense. Alex Smith went back to being the old Alex Smith and and this defense that's really the big thing about this as well and I know you know they only gave up 12 points and they they still lose to the New York Giants but it's just not a very good defense. It isn't up to the chief standards and a lot of that quite honestly the injuries at the defensive at the outside linebacker position. You know they can't get pass rush with just Justin Houston. They need some deep forward. They need some Tom Bahali. Both these guys are out. The secondary is pretty shaky. Derek Johnson's lost a step. I mean, and it's just not the same type of chief squad. So I think the Chargers actually won that may get hot. If they don't Charger themselves, so to speak, they could be in the mix to win the AFC West. Now, as far as a Super Bowl team, I'm not buying any of that or anything. But I will tell you this, though, in, in a lousy division right now, uh, we see what's going on in Denver, how they lose to Cincinnati, and, and what's going on with the Oakland Raiders and how they've lost their mojo. Why not the Chargers?
2: We talked a lot about this on Monday's show. To me, Marshawn Lynch taking a knee are basically sitting down for the American national anthem and then standing for the Mexican national anthem was a different level, different caliber of disrespect. Because if you're concerned about the issues that you claim to be concerned about in America, how in the world can you be okay with them in Mexico when Mexico is worse in all those respects than the United States is from a statistical measure? What in the world's going on with Marshawn Lynch? Did he have any idea what he was doing? What What was his thought process to the extent you can analyze it?
3: Well, see, I can't. That's the whole thing about it, because Marshawn is Marshawn, right? And I can't tell you, maybe he's going to go get Mexican citizenship. I don't know. I mean, this guy is that offbeat. And, you know, it's, been, you know, it's interesting, because President Trump in his tweet, he goes after Marshawn Lynch, slow-hanging fruit, and I get all that. But, you know, there were players that also took a knee during in London during the playing of the American Yeah, and I ripped,
2: I ripped those guys, too. But at least London has a pretty good international human rights law record, right? It's not as if it's not as if England has this long history of uh, of issues that Mexico has. So, I mean, look, I understand. To me, it's hypocritical to st- to sit for the national anthem in America and stand for the national anthem in Mexico. I think there's a big seismic difference between the United States and Mexico when it comes to human rights violations.
3: No, understood, but do you think Marshawn Lynch is thinking about human rights violations? Do we ever find out why he's sitting for the answer? No, and
2: look, that also ties in with my overall issue with covering athletes from a political perspective to begin with. To me, if you're going to take a political stand, then you should have to have a strong foundation to support it in order for me to pay attention to you. Just like there are a lot of Hollywood actors and actresses who are going to get up at the Oscars and say that they have some strong, heartfelt belief about politics, until I actually see them grilled, I'm just going to assume that they're all going to be like Sarah Palin would in her interview with Katie Couric, where with the end of that, you were like, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this person making a decision about anything. Colin Kaepernick, you know, wearing the wearing the Fidel Castro shirt, uh, making the decision to say that police are modern day slave catchers, like all this stuff that he has done to me is evidence that he doesn't really understand his own political perspectives. And look, I, I don't know what Marshawn Lynch is doing.
3: Right, and and that's the whole thing with Marshawn. It, it's just listen, the guy plays by his own set of rules, and and that's you know, and, and maybe there's something that he'll say he'll share someday. Maybe he'll sell the rights to his story in a book. I la what Kellen Kaepernick's doing to be able to expound upon it. I don't know how much true deep thought. Went into what Marshawn Lynch did, other than maybe trying to make some sort of, quote, social statement. But, I mean, look, until – and this is where the NFL dropped the ball, and one of the reasons that Jerry Jones is so angry. And, and I talked to Troy Vincent about it at the owners' meetings in March, and I said, Troy, did you guys put in anything about the anthem? Did you talk – they didn't even discuss the anthem among the owners. That's, that's on them. You put in a protocol that says you are going to get fined, suspended, etc. if you don't stand for the anthem. Just like the NBA did, it. by the way. Right, right. And, and you know and It went relatively smooth. But remember, too, the NBA is on pretty decent speaking terms with their players' union, right? I mean, they actually get the CBA extended. They get things done. This is where the Roger, one of Roger Goodell's failings is that not really being proactive, not really communicating well enough with players to understand, okay, we had an issue last year. What is it that these players were doing? And really getting to the bottom of it. Look, some of them, like the Doug Baldwin, who did research these sorts of things and ended up writing that letter about the the mandatory sentences, you know, that's someone who cared about it. Malcolm Jenkins, someone who researched it. There are guys that, that have done their homework in the NFL, but there's others who haven't. You see what I'm saying? And and why even – but, you know, let let these guys use that platform through the NFL. You could have done something like this a long time ago, and instead they didn't. And that's why we're at the state we're at now, where Jerry Jones is so furious at the commissioner, because this is one of the things that has got him in hot water. Listen, brands don't want to be – you know, advertisers don't want to be associated with polarizing brands in most cases, right? I mean, if you're a mainstream advertiser, you don't want people that are going to boycott your product because you're associated with something that's deemed un-American or something that makes you angry. And that's exactly what's happening in the NFL right now and why they're holding on to some of these advertisers by a thread.
2: What do you think happens between this Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell feud? We're talking with Alex Marvez. You can go follow him on Twitter on at Alex Marvez. He joins us every single Tuesday.
3: You know, here's the thing about it is that, listen, the the owners, a lot of them just don't trust Jerry right? It's better to deal with the devil you know than the devil you don't. in, in Roger Goodell, he's the guy that, that, listen, he has experience negotiating a collective bargaining agreement. He helped the NFL, I mean, totally kick the NFLPA's tail. I mean, look, think about it. The NFLPA comes back with, we want shorter practices in the offseason and less contact. You, know, you think the, the owners care about giving that up? No, they'll just take more cash from the players. That's fine. You see what I mean? So he's someone that's had success doing it. I think that's one of the reasons he stays. Also, think about it like this too. Jerry Jones tweaked the NFL rules himself to take advantage of of them In 2010, all the owners had colluded against the NFL Players Association. They had an uncapped year. Nobody would spend over the cap except for two teams, the Cowboys and Redskins, and both of them had faced heavy sanctions from the NFL uh, You know, down the road for doing something on their own that they considered a maverick move. So Jerry is not the most popular of guys in NFL circles. Let me just put it like that. Among all owners, I think he has some good points about trying to hold the commissioner a little bit more responsible because so many things continue to get bungled uh, in, by this administration, but I just... Don't think he has the power to get it done. I think the NFL owners they like the paychecks they're receiving, and ultimately they'll put up with Roger Goodell being a human pincushion for all the insults you know, basically an archery board and never could shoot the arrows at him. They'll just keep making money and they'll keep him in charge.
2: We're talking to Alex Marvez. Alex, do you agree with me yesterday on the show? I said that something seemed fundamentally broken about the Oakland Raiders. And the reason why I said that was I said, I watched that game against the Patriots. It's one thing to lose to New England. It's another thing in a game that you know you have to win because of the hole you dug for yourself, and you show up with that kind of performance. Is it fair to say something's broken?
3: You know, it's, it's interesting, it's a bad matchup. Every time Jack Del Rio faces Bill Belichick. I'm not sure if you know this, but I believe Belichick nine and one all time against Jack Del Rio as a head coach. I mean, he just carves up that defense. He knows basically he's two steps ahead of Jack. Uh, you know, Belichick is ahead of most, but he's really ahead of the Raiders. And on offense, they just they've lost something. Too many drop passes, they can't get into a rhythm. I think maybe they overestimated Todd Downing as offensive coordinator. Clearly he's had a rough first year on the job. They let Bill Musgrave go. You know, they were afraid to lose Todd to another team as an OC, so they decided to promote him, let Bill walk out the door to the Denver Broncos as their quarterback's coach. I know that's not going too well for him, but the point is, this is almost the same exact group that had that mojo last year. The defense, though, needed some upgrading. They didn't get it. I mean, and the secondary is bad. And, you know, it's funny how, you know, Reggie McKenzie can go from being a genius to someone now who's like, what is it that you're doing? And you have to wonder, too, did a little bit of complacency set in once everyone was given contract extensions after last year? Maybe the Raiders thought they had won their own Super Bowl because they became credible again and maybe just maybe a little bit of that complacency you know settled into that franchise
2: Alex we talked about how bad the AFC is the NFC's got a lot of teams that have a chance to advance to the Super Bowl I think the top three right now the Eagles the Vikings and the Saints which of those three do you believe in the most
3: I believe in the Saints the most because of a quarterback who has been there and done that and they're they're, they can they're very balanced on running the football the Eagles. I mean, if, if Carson Wentz had a four-interception game, would we be shocked? I wouldn't. It's a second NFL season, so I, I just I think I put those two, and then Minnesota. At some point, I think this last helper is going to break for Case Keenum, although he's done a very nice job, six and two as a starter uh, since replacing Teddy Bridgewater. But you know, what happens if Case has a bad game? Then you got to deal with your own quarterback controversy. Do you go back to Case? Do you play Teddy? How short is the rope on Case? I mean, that's the whole thing. It's almost like every week he's got to go out and prove himself, and in the NFL, that's tough. And I think Thursday is going to. Have a tough time against the Detroit Lions. If, you know, if he wins and, and settles this quarterback competition, you know the quarterback picture there once and crawls one thing. But that's how I look at it. I mean, listen, Philadelphia looks fantastic right now, but it's just a team too that hasn't had a lot of success in the past. Whereas I think with, with Drew Brees, he's a guy that's where the veteran leadership I think for him comes in. And I just think this is a team that that's you know they got it going on both sides of the ball. Although, listen, this Redskins team is dangerous. I, I tell you that <clears throat> they, they go through a lot of adversity. They've lost a lot of players to injury but they continue to show up, and they play hard each week. They push the Saints, but the Saints, for the first time in their history, trailing by 15 points in the final five minutes of a game, they came back and won. First time it's ever happened since the Saints were formed in the 1960s. I think that speaks volumes too. the first team to ever win eight games in a row after starting 0-2, the New
2: Orleans Saints. Alex, uh, what are you hearing about Jameis Winston?
3: Uh, (laughs) This one is a curious one because the attorney put out on Twitter that uh, he wants to get Ronald Darby's cell phone, wants the NFL to get it and to check for GPS tracking information. Apparently, the Uber driver is claiming that she was alone in a car with Jameis, whereas Jameis is saying that on the night of this alleged incident, he was with people. I will tell you this. It is a a very tough time for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' current employees if Jameis Winston is found by the NFL to have done something because there were so many folks in Tampa that were scared. Skeptical about Jameis Winston after the rape allegations and the settled civil suit at Florida State, the crab leg, etc. Jason Light, the Bucks organization, interviewed 75 different people when Jameis Winston was coming out of college, and they still they drafted him. They felt comfortable about it. If something like this were to happen, Jason Light's on the hot seat. Cutters on the hot seat. And you just keep hearing this bell in the background, you know, ringing for John Gruden to come back and coach this team and sell tickets. And I think if there was ever a time that John Gruden would come back, I think it would be this season. You know, just so many rumblings about he's not happy now at ESPN because his relationship with Mike Tirico was so strong. Personally, he's not having as much fun now working with a new partner to the fact that he wouldn't have to move his family. He could coach in Tampa, and he'd already have a ready-made quarterback, presumably in Jameis Winston, uh, playing. But if if not Jameis, he'd have to find another veteran. But I think that John would have the ability to come in, sell tickets. Remember, the Bucks are struggling to generate momentum. They haven't done anything since he's left. Listen, and I'm not like the biggest John Gruden as a head coach fan. I think he's you know, very overrated in that regard. But the deal was that, that he sold the people of Tampa on his program. And when you're the Glazer family and you keep striking out on coaches year after year, I really think that may be the direction they're headed.
2: How did the Bucks decide what to do with Jameis right now? Is there any way – I mean, this is just an honest question – And they're holding him out right now because of an injury. Is there any way they could count these games as part of a suspension that he eventually gets?
3: No, they they can't. It just doesn't work that way. Because, I mean, again, he hasn't, you know, he's, quote, under investigation. But the word out there is that the NFL had no idea about this until they were called by BuzzFeed. So when the NFL said, we're investigating the claim, it said they were ticked off. It wasn't that this woman had called this. From my understanding, it wasn't that this woman had called the NFL and presented this case. And the word came out from there instead this apparently came out from someone on her party contacting you know the, the uh the media and then the media contacting the nfl and asking about this so no it wouldn't work that way listen we may not see James winston on the field anytime soon anyway Dirk cutter told me on my sirius xm show the other night he had a prp treatment done in his shoulder basically putting in blood platelets circulating it around the shoulder to try to accelerate healing he did some light things in practice but i think they're going to be extra cautious with james winston oh and by the way have you noticed that the offense is actually running better with ryan fitzpatrick how about them apples 2 and 0 oh, since he's become the starter.
2: What happens if Ryan Fitzpatrick finishes off the season, has a really good run, let's say the Bucks get back to 8 and 8, I don't know, something like that from 2 and 6. Is there any way there's a quarterback dispute or debate going into the next season?
3: I think the, the way that that happens is if Jameis Winston has the off field thing and it's you know suspension wise. Remember the Bucks family was really had they had to really have their arms twisted to sign Jameis Winston. They just the, the whole thing about you know the rape allegations at, at Florida State was just something that really was unsettling to them. And you know Martin Fenley wrote a real interesting column for the Tampa Bay Times about this. He believes that Jameis is done in Tampa. If if there is any and Martin's been around that team for twenty something years, but he just believes that the people of Tampa will not support this guy you know as you know if if he were to come back after this that they would just that that's how it is this isn't like Ben Roethlisberger who was welcomed back by Steelers fans and eventually won them back over he just believes that they would cut bait with Jameis Winston because he would lose that trust and and it's a shame because you think about entering the season and Jameis Winston's coming off all this appearance on hard knocks and you know how you know he's supposed to be the next great young quarterback how much he cares about football et cetera. and then this comes out and you know play I'm, I'm hoping it's not true because, you know, I, I'd hate to see this guy, you know, have, have done something like this. Because you think about where he came from. I think about that first episode of Hard Knocks, and he takes us into his bedroom as a kid. And you got three, two other kids sleeping with him on a bed, seven kids in the room. You got to use the restroom. You have to basically pee on your lawn because there's just not, the restroom is always occupied. You know, could you imagine someone like this making it even out of that neighborhood, let alone to the NFL and playing at the highest level? I mean, it's a true testament for a lot of great things about Jameis Winston. But if this one is proven true, or the nfl believes it is true and remember do you know how the nfl justice works like then i just think it's going to be a tough go for him to keep going in tampa and we could see some fitz magic moving forward or the drafting of another quarterback
2: how much well, let's say he gets suspended for six games for inappropriate conduct because that i think would be like the highest level of penalty that he could get and obviously as we can tell from ezekiel elliott the nfl standard is not criminal you know misconduct it is, do they believe that there was enough here that's improper to make them believe that something inappropriate happened? How much of a market is there for Jameis Winston if he gets suspended, given that he already had the red flag of the rape allegation and serious incidents that happened in his past? I'm not even talking about, you know, the the getting arrested, stealing crab legs, the, uh, the, the strange pregame speech that he gave. I'm just kind of curious about his trajectory in the future, even if anything comes of this at all.
3: I think he'd get another chance. I really do. And, you know, I think it would be a team maybe that, that has him as someone waiting in the wings if they have an unstable starting situation. Remember, two, it takes two to tango. And Jameis might actually be a little selective himself because he, he fancies himself as an NFL starter. So just, just some, you know, it, it is interesting to play this one out. If he were available, what could you get for Jameis Winston? But he is damaged goods. I'd have to do I don't have to be a franchise that's willing to take all of the negativity that's going to come with signing someone who not only the first time, full me once, shame on you with it, with the FSU thing, but then fool me twice, you're still bringing in someone who's maybe a sexual predator. It's going to be tough. But again, I think that there would be a franchise because you, you know the pitch would be, well, he's young. He's learned from his mistake. We can't prove that this actually happened. It's two people in a car. It's the NFL saying something happened. Jameis categorically denies that it happened. And you get into that war of words. So yes, I know it sounds goofy that you would bring in someone like this as opposed to maybe some other people who've never been arrested. But that's what happens with talent at the game's Most important at them teams most important position
2: what's also wild about this Alex is that his fourth year is up soon and so he would have to make a decision like the Bucks were going to have to make a decision about big money anyway this whole offseason now obviously it doesn't sound like he's going to play that much more this year this whole offseason the story is going to be is Jameis Winston going to get suspended so they really can't work on signing him up for a fifth year right
3: Right, well, and then, you know what, that, you're right about that. First, we have to see, does the NFL come to some conclusions before the offseason begins? I would imagine that they're going to exercise a fifth-year option on Jameis' contract, which locks him in for two more years with the team, and then you start talking potential extension. You know, in the case of Jameis Winston, by the way, and I know it's, it would probably behoove the Bucks to sign him long-term if you trust him, if you don't believe this is true, get him locked up now, but it's not like he's playing at an elite quarterback level. I mean, he was good this year, but not great. You know what I mean? And I don't know how great he ultimately can be. I don't know what his feeling is. But I think, yeah, when it comes to a contract extension, you're right. Things would get a, a little bit tricky because, again, you don't know what you're signing up for. But do you see, again, there's no criminal charges. It's not like James Winston is going to be going to jail for any of this. I mean, his reputation has now gotten, gotten, you know, just you know, smashed once again because of this. But, you know, if he is ultimately exonerated by the NFL, and again, they don't have to find you 100% guilty. They just have to believe that something happened. Well, then maybe he can go a long way toward clearing up. You know, obviously what's been a very black mark on him and now the Bucks organization.
2: Appreciate the time, Alex. Have a good holiday weekend and uh, thanks for joining us here.
3: Fantastic. Do it again next week.
2: That's Alex Marvez. He's brought to you by TrueCar. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for new or used Visit True Car for, to enjoy a more confident car-buying experience. Bring in my guy Eddie Garcia now. Find out what's shaking in the world of sports.
4: Well, Clay, of course, we start with Monday Night Football in Seattle where the Falcons hold off the Seahawks for a 34-31 victory. Atlanta's now 6-4 and on the year. Quarterback Matt Ryan had a couple of touchdown passes in the win. For Seattle, they dropped to 6-4. and four. They missed on a fake field goal to end the second half and then missed a 52-yard field goal that would have tied the game with seven seconds to go. In NFL news, Steelers right tackle Marcus Gilbert has been suspended for four games for violating the NFL's policy on performance dancing drugs. Broncos fired their offensive coordinator Mike McCoy and have turned the play-calling duties over to quarterback's coach Bill Musgrave. And, Clay, it's time for our Geico Play of the Day. Now it's Kyrie spinning away
1: from Yogi Ferrell. Has it on a string. Kyrie backs him down to the mid block. Turn, scoops it up and in. Score to the foul. A spectacular night for Kyrie start to finish.
4: Two of Kyrie Irving's 47 points, that's from WBZ 98.5 in the Sports Hub and the Celtics Radio Network. Celtics won their 16th game in a row with a 110-102 overtime victory in Dallas over the Mavericks. That was your Play of the Day, brought to you by GEICO.
2: Good stuff, Eddie. We're coming to you live from the GEICO Outkick Studios. What does it mean when GEICO says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably... Should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. As well, get in your zone with great value offers and free services that help your vehicle deliver its best performance. AutoZone has everything to get you what you need. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Speaking of in the zone, this is not going to shock a lot of you. But CNN, a network that banned me from ever appearing because I used the word boobs on air. They had LeVar Ball on to talk about Donald Trump and his sons being rescued from Chinese prison. And it went about as absurdly as you can possibly imagine in a long, rambling 23-minute interview that featured a panel breakdown afterwards analyzing the LeVar Ball interview. CNN, which banned me for saying boobs, now makes a living putting boobs on the air. We'll talk about it next with all the best clips. This is OutKick, the coverage. Great news, quick way you could save money, switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As well with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, and on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Last night, LeVar Ball went on CNN. CNN is the same network that banned me. I'm not kidding about this. They banned me for saying I believe in the First Amendment and boobs on their air. I'm not joking. This is a real thing. CNN News Network banned me for saying that I believe in the First Amendment and boobs. Yet, they decided to have a boob on their show last night, LeVar Ball, to talk about why he won't thank Donald Trump. This was a 23-minute interview that featured a panel breakdown of the LeVar Ball interview immediately thereafter. And we have distilled that 23 minute interview into one minute and 45 minutes of the, quote, highlights of this incredible interview that has advanced the news gathering organization known as CNN far and above anything we've ever seen before. If this isn't Pulitzer winning material, I don't know what is. It's LeVar Ball last night on CNN.
5: OK, so the president. What did he do for my son? The president says that he spoke to the Chinese president. He says that the boys okay, were that was informed nice. that, was nice. that the involvement of the president of the United States mattered and that then he wanted some thanks. And instead, okay. you said, who, what was he, Trump, over there for? Don't tell me he, nothing. He wanted some thanks. Everybody wants he wanted to make it seem like who? he helped me out.
6: I mean, you, you're trying to make it sound like that. I'm, I'm just saying. That's what you said. I didn't meet Winnie face to face. I know exactly what I said, but you, you buffing it up like you said that you don't want to say thank you to nobody. No, come meet me I like sound? a man. Shake I was my hand to say and tell me what you've done for me. Than
5: that. He says he helped oh, get he them out now, of huh? China. Okay, if, 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 if,
6: he, if, he, if, he, if he paid for the money to, to put up whatever we needed to do, then I would say thank you. Did
5: he do that? So that's the bar. If he he doesn't put up bail for the boys, then he doesn't deserve thanks? Come on. No, it's
6: not if he didn't put up bail. He said he helped. How'd he help? If he helped, I would
5: say thank you. Do you think the president helped? Do I think the president helped? Yes. I don't know. So do you think he would be lying about helping?
6: Say what you want. I didn't see him talk. I don't care and I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not going to say nothing. I don't know and I don't see and I don't hear. So the president of the United States says say, he oh, helped,
5: say? and you say if you didn't see it, you didn't hear it, you don't believe it. Hey, if he said
6: he helped, that's good for his mind. What do you mean
5: good for I his mind? I mean, but mind? why
6: I even got to say that? If you help, you shouldn't have to say anything. If you help, you shouldn't have to. Make... If I help somebody, I don't walk around saying, you know, I help you now. Come on now, you give me some love. I helped you, man. Come on, for real.
5: That's what are we good, doing for each other? That's a good question. I know what he did for you. What are we doing for each other? And instead of saying thank you, what did he do you me? took a shot at him. What did he do for me? What he helped he get me? your son out of China, where he could have been in jail for a long time. What about some other?
6: Why was he going to be in jail for a long time? Because he
5: stole something, How according did to you the Chinese he be authorities. How long for? Oh, could have been a long time. Okay, but Carries the Chinese a minimum authorities three was words.
6: like, you know what? He's okay. He has so much character in 18 years that he's allowed to have a pass for that. Hey, and I got a message for you. What is it? Tell Donald Trump to have a great Thanksgiving because Big Baller is.
2: Oy vey. So here's the deal. Donald Trump and LeVar Ball are in some ways mirror images of each other. It doesn't matter what the news uh, is. If it doesn't reflect what they want the news to be, they're not going to acknowledge it. I don't understand why if your son was arrested for shoplifting in China, you would turn this into a story where you refuse to thank the president for his involvement. If my son, as a dad, as a reasonable person, if my son was dumb enough to get arrested for shoplifting in China as a grown adult, and he was facing any kind of Chinese punishment, and the president did anything at all to potentially help my children, I would thank him. Now, you can argue why does the president need to be thanked? All of those things are perfectly fine. The Le- Levar Ball, uh, Leangelo Ball, thanked him. So did the two other players. But to me, this is a uh, this is CNN using Levar Ball to get attention and ratings. And look, we're talking about it, so it's working. I mean, look, let's be honest. Um, but in general, this is just a uh, this is just a ridiculous story. I think again, I've made this argument for a long time. To me, LeVar Ball and Donald Trump are in many ways very similar. They're great at getting attention. They go on uh, the newscast to say whatever they want. They refuse to acknowledge stories that don't confirm their worldview. Um, And uh, I I think, look, I mean, if you were assessing uh, blame here, I think this is like 99.9% LeVar Ball. All he had to do was say thanks to the president. And this is a non story. But. He's good at getting attention. I'll give him credit. He's great at self-promoting. And I just find it maybe the most ironic aspect of this entire story that CNN won't put me on because I said I love the First Amendment and boobs. I'm literally banned from the network. And they did a 23-minute interview with LeVar Ball and also featured a panel discussion analyzing that interview. The news, here's what you need to know. The news is not the news, okay? I don't know when exactly it happened, but the news is entertainment, and so everybody out there trying to say, oh, we're holding ourselves up to such high bastions of journalistic integrity, that's all gone. CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever you watch when it comes to news, it's not designed to inform you anymore. It's designed to make money, and I'm sure that the ratings were decent for the LeVar Ball interview. The challenge is it's not in any way advancing any kind of newsworthy aspect of this story. Look, the news exists to make money. Once you understand that the news exists to make money, then any kind of expectation, I think, in your mind that the news is going to be fair or that it's going to be impartial or that it's going to be intelligent should be out the window. That should be the uh, how you operate in general. Let's bring in the crew and see what they thought of this uh, LeVar Ball interview. Jason Martin, your thoughts. Is this a journalistic uh, high-end? This is like Walter Cronkite?
7: No, this is a non-story. I actually agree with Steve Kerr. I kind of would be pretty happy if both of both parties in this situation would stay quiet to some extent, but just listening to LeVar Ball and watching him during this interview, you could just see dollar signs in his eyes. This was a way for him to stay relevant, to get relevance on a new stage because the news media was going to slurp this up because it had to do with Donald Trump. They know that that's going to drive ratings, so that's going to make it a lot easier for them to go here. And then he was so combative on every question, trying to fire back, trying to play the victim, which is just utterly absurd. I don't like, and I haven't liked from the beginning that Trump came out and said, I wonder if they're going to thank me because I hate that guy. I hate the guy that does something because he's hoping for that in return. But at the same time, LeVar Ball probably should have done it either way, but this was a real easy way for LeVar Ball to be in front of our faces during this holiday week when we should be thinking about a lot of other things in this world than him and his situation. So the whole thing to me was just an example of how to sensationalize a complete non-story to try and fill time and to try and be more exciting than actually just being objective about what's happening in the world.
2: Guys in LA, your thoughts on the? We have a panel discussion now about the panel discussion about the <laughs> panel discussion.
0: It was a Dan Wetzel who yesterday said it was probably on its way to being cleared up anyhow, but still, it, how how hard is it to just send a quick thank you or say a quick thank you? It just sound this seems like two really stubborn guys butting heads. So what you well, said I, about I, how I their don't mirror understand images. how
2: anybody could be on LeVar Ball's side here. I mean, honestly, if you have kids. And your kid, let's begin with the, how this story con- b- began, right? LeVar Ball's kid, Leangelo, was an idiot, and so were his teammates. They went to China, and they shoplifted. I mean, that is so incredibly mind-numbingly stupid. And then, only because of their privilege, only because of their Pac-12 connections, only because of their connections with rich Chinese boosters, only because of their connection to the State Department and the presidency, did they actually avoid potentially going to jail for years in other words if this were just a normal kid a normal 17 or 18 year old or 20 year old who's over there in a college they would probably have to face severe consequences for their actions instead as a result of their privilege they get the people at the highest ranks of power to get them out of the consequences of their actions and if you are a dad, like, I don't know what kind of lesson Leangelo takes from this, if he takes anything, any kind of lesson at all, but if you're a dad, I'm a dad, if one of my sons, and I've got three sons, just like LeVar Ball, if one of my sons did something this stupid, and anybody was able to get them out of Chinese prison or Chinese jail... I would be very thankful to them. I think just about every single person listening would be. Now, is it better if you thank them instead of them demanding an apology? I guess. But once you get there, you're talking about mismanners as opposed to the actual substantive basis of this story. If my kids are facing time in a Chinese prison and you get them out, I'm going to thank you no matter what political basis you have, no matter what you've done in other aspects of your life, because you have done me a favor and that's how the world works. When people do you favors and treat you better than maybe you deserve, you thank them for it. And, you know, the fact that LeVar Ball turns this into a story by not saying thank you is just, I think, a testament to the world that we're in today. All right, look, enough LeVar Ball. We talked about it. Maybe we'll hit him again in hour three, but up next, I'm going to break down the college football playoff picture. The rankings come out tonight. What's the status? What's the story? All of that next. is going to make you smarter on OutKick, the coverage. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. I am Clay Travis. Thank you for spending your Tuesday with us as we move into our two. I always want to remind you, go download the OutKick podcast as millions of you are doing, and hopefully we can keep you as entertained as possible, even if you're only able to hear a few segments of the show. You'll be able to catch up with everything that you missed in that podcast. Just go on iTunes and search out OutKick. You get both this show and which is our morning show from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on nearly 300 AM-FM stations nationwide, as well as Sirius Channel 218 and XM Channel 202. Plus, you get an afternoon show that I do on Facebook and Periscope that also turns into a podcast to outkick the coverage. No FC or C restrictions. We do that every day about 3 Eastern, and you guys can come hang out there as well. Well, it being Tuesday, it's another day when the college football playoff rankings come out. And we've got an incredible week of college football that's coming up to conclude the regular season. We got Alabama going on the road against Auburn. We've got Clemson going on the road against South Carolina. We have got uh, what usually used to be a good game, Florida, Florida State. We got Kentucky. We got Louisville. We've got all of these kind of internecine, awful, incestuous, in state rivalry games that are taking place today. This weekend, and many of them starting on Thursday will have a substantial impact in who ends up playing for the college football championship in the playoff. And so last week, I kind of ran through all the different teams that were still in the mix potentially to make the playoff. And I got to be honest with you, I got it wrong a little bit in that I don't think I was expansive enough to conclude all the teams that had a remote chance of making the playoff. And so tonight you're going to hear a lot about the teams that are in the top four, a lot about the teams in the top six. I have done an exhaustive study as we finish up the regular season and then include also the conference title games. And I believe there are 11 teams that still have a heartbeat in some form or fashion to make the college football playoff. So I thought that I would run through that entire picture for you right now to give you a tutorial. If you're a college football fan, you're going to love it. If you're not a college football fan, then frankly, I think you're wasting your life because on a week-to-week basis, college football games, I believe, are more entertaining as a whole than the NFL team games are as a whole. And that's not just because I'm a college football fan. I love the NFL, too. I love football probably as much as just about everybody out there who's listening right now. It's my favorite sport. I actually like college more than the NFL, but they're 1-2 for me. But this college football playoff, if you remember when we went to a playoff uh, three years ago, it's now been three years, we're going into the fourth year of the college football playoff, a lot of the old fuddy-duddy crowd out there said, oh man, once we go to the college football playoff, people are going to be upset. It's not going to be as entertaining. You're not going to have as powerful or positive of an overall landscape of college football. You're going to ruin the regular season. Well you're totally wrong. It's one of the dumbest arguments that's ever been made in the history of sports. And so as we come up on the fourth year of the college football playoff, this thing is a resounding success. It's leading to record ratings for the big games. And like I said, even in entering the final week of the regular season, there are still 11 teams with a playoff heartbeat. So I'm going to start with the conference that has the most teams alive, and I'm going to break down each of their chances. Eventually, I'm going to bring in my guy, Jason Martin, say, was I too complicated? Did you follow this? Let me know. Okay, let's start here. SEC, there are three teams still alive for the college football playoff in the SEC. Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia. Alabama and Auburn obviously play this weekend. I'm going to break down each of those three teams for you. If Alabama wins against Auburn and then beats Georgia... Alabama will be in as the overall number one seed in the college football playoff, and everyone else in the SEC will be eliminated. That's the easiest possible outcome. Alabama beats Auburn on Saturday. Alabama beats Georgia on the next Saturday. Both Auburn and Georgia are left outside of the playoff, and the Crimson Tide roll into the college football playoff as the number one overall seed, okay? That could happen, right? There's no doubt about that. There's no uncertainty. There's no uh, lack of security here. There's no... Uh, reason why people should be afraid of that outcome, right? Okay, so that's one potential outcome. If Auburn beats Alabama, then Auburn then has to also go to Atlanta and beat Georgia. If Auburn beats Alabama and Auburn beats Georgia, then Auburn will be into the college football playoff, no uncertainty. And Alabama at 11-1 and one would still have a chance as a one-loss team, depending on how the rest of the playoffs shook out To also make the playoffs, so there's a possibility that if Auburn beats Alabama, there's still two SEC teams alive. Georgia has to beat Georgia Tech this weekend in a rivalry game at Georgia Tech, and then they have to also beat either Auburn or Alabama. That's the only way that Georgia will get into the college football playoff. If 12-1 Georgia beats 12-1 Alabama then I think there's a pretty good chance that 12-1 and Alabama would also make the playoff alongside 12-1 and Georgia, who would have to win the SEC championship. That's the SEC playoff picture. All right, let's go to the ACC. Miami plays this weekend at Pittsburgh. Clemson plays at South Carolina. Assuming that both those teams win then you would get 11-1 and South Carolina against 11-0 and Miami. Remember, Miami only played 11 games because their game was canceled at, Arizona, at Arkansas State because of the hurricane. Whoever wins that game would 100% be in the playoff. If Clemson loses, then Clemson probably is out of the running for the playoff. I say probably because there's still a lot of different outcomes and craziness that could happen. If Miami goes 12 and 0, they're in and there's no doubt. If Clemson wins and goes 12 and 1, Clemson is in. So whoever wins the ACC title, in the event that 11 and 1 Clemson plays 11 and 0 Miami, is going to be in the playoff. But if Miami loses a close game against Clemson, I actually think there's a decent chance that 11 and 1 Miami could get in as well. Okay, that's the ACC playoff picture. Still two teams alive. That's five of the 11 teams are alive. Three in the ACC, in the SEC, two in the ACC. How about the Big 12? Technically, there's still two teams alive. Oklahoma is the favorite. They should beat West Virginia this weekend and advance to the Big 12 title game at 11-1, where they are likely to meet TCU. What would happen if TCU, who is right now uh, needs to finish 10-2 to finish second overall in the Big 12, were to upset Oklahoma. First of all, this is the argument I made against the Big 12 ever having a title game. I said, guys, there's no reason for the Big 12 to need a title game because it's just as likely to knock a team out of the the playoff as it is get a team into the playoff. And that's exactly what we could see here. West Virginia quarterback Will Greer is not slated to play. Oklahoma is a three-touchdown favorite over West Virginia. They're playing in Norman. It would be a tremendous upset for Oklahoma to lose this game. If Oklahoma finishes 11-1, and one, then they would theoretically be in great shape. But if they lose the Big 12 title game, they might fall out of the playoff and cost the Big 12 a spot. There's an outside chance that 11-2 and two, uh, TCU could still get into the playoff as well. So that's the Big 12 title picture. The Big 10 title picture. Wisconsin got a decent win over the highly overrated Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Wisconsin is now 11-0. They play Minnesota. They should run roughshod over Minnesota and be 12-0. Ohio State plays against Michigan. They have to beat Michigan on the road. They're favored by around two touchdowns. And they then would have to beat Wisconsin. 13-0 and Wisconsin is into the playoff, no doubt. If Wisconsin loses to Ohio State and loses the Big Ten title, and by the way, Ohio State would be a pretty substantial favorite in this game, probably around a 9- or 10-point favorite, I think, honestly. If that happened, if that happened that Ohio State beat Wisconsin, then Ohio State would need several things to happen to be able to make the playoff. They would need Alabama to win out. They would probably need Miami to win out. And they probably would need Oklahoma to win out as well. If all three of those things happen then Ohio State at 11 and 2 might still be the best of the remaining title teams. So, that is the Big 10 playoff picture. Now, the Pac-12 needs a lot of help. But, in theory, USC, which has now finished their season at 10 and 2 and gotten Jim Mora fired, and uh the the Trojans could either play against Stanford or Washington State. Because Washington has been eliminated. Stanford's Pac-12 season is finished. They have the tie break over Washington. So if Washington State upsets Washington, then they upset USC, then theoretically Washington State could still be alive. They are the least likely of the 11 potential playoff teams to still be in the running. Because an 11-2 Washington State team, could, on the very outside, find their way in if they beat Washington and USC to finish the season. USC is much more likely to finish 11-2. and What would USC need to make the playoff? I'll tell you. First of all, they need to root for Alabama to eliminate Auburn and Georgia and finish 13-0. and Then, honestly, I think they need to root for Miami to eliminate Clemson and finish 11-0. and And, frankly, I think they need a little bit of craziness to happen I think they need Michigan to beat Ohio State and then Ohio State to come back and beat Wisconsin, which would probably knock the Big Ten out of the playoff picture and open up a spot for another conference champ there. Then whatever happens in the Big 12, you get Oklahoma in, and the best two-loss champion that could be remaining would be 11-2 and USC. Now, I just ran through off the top of my head – I deserve a damn award for this. I just ran through the entire college football playoff picture for all five major conferences and told you the 11 teams that are still all at large and could hope to be a part of the fourteen team playoff. Did I do a decent job of that, or did I drive you completely insane? I'm not sure. We're going to go to break right now, and when we come back, I will ask Jason Martin whether or not I made any sense and whether he has any thoughts about those 11 teams and their chances to actually make the playoff. All of that and more on a beautiful Tuesday here in November as we inch closer and closer to Thanksgiving and potential bedlam in the college football national title picture. Your responses on Twitter, fire away at Clay Travis. You can let me know what you think about that breakdown. But I'll bring in Jason Martin and I'll ask him whether or not I made sense of the college football playoff picture. Up next, we will discuss... This is outkick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Great news, quick way you could save money, switch to Geico, go to geico.com and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As well with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over 3 grand off MSRP whether you're looking for a new or used car. Visit Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. This is a confident show. That was a confident breakdown of all of the craziness that could still exist. There are 11 teams still alive to make the college football playoff if you break them all down on an individual basis. Now that we have finished the next-to-last weekend of college football and look forward to the final regular season weekend in advance of the conference title games. Jason Martin, did that make sense? Did you have any questions? Did you have any thoughts? I think I have finished and covered just about every possible outcome. And I say that because I can't tell you the number of people I have emailing me on a regular basis with just it's amazing to me. And by the way, I love all your emails and all your feedback, but it'll just be like some guy I don't know, some stranger, and he just like sends me a series of hypotheticals. What happens if this game happens, then this one happens, and then that happens? It's like like a whole paragraph of craziness. And then he's like, then who are the four playoff teams? I'm like, I don't have time to just respond to it on an individual basis for all that. So I am confident that I have hit all 11 teams and roughly what would need to happen for them to make the playoff picture. Did it make sense?
7: It made as much sense as something that complicated can be. I mean, I took a lot of notes during that first segment because I knew that I wasn't going to remember everything that you said and you went through the 11 teams the one thing that I noticed Notre Dame's done right it was no chance for them now
2: Notre Dame is dead there is literally in my opinion no hypothetical way that Notre Dame can make the college football playoff and let me tell you why because Notre Dame has lost to two teams that are currently ranked above them Georgia and Miami even if Georgia lost out frankly, which is not likely to happen, right? And even if Miami lost out, I still think you'd have to put both of those teams above Notre Dame. So I don't see any way that 10-2 Notre Dame, who has a big game to finish against Stanford, has any chance to make the playoff, just like I don't believe there's any way that Stanford, who frankly could make the college football playoff, right? I mean, sorry, the Pac-12 title game. I think that's very likely because I think Washington is going to beat Washington State, which would put Stanford in to play USC, even though Stanford might well win the Pac-12 title, they have zero chance to actually make the Pac-12 title game because they've already lost three games. Even if they beat Notre Dame and even if they beat USC to to end the season, they just have too many losses. A three-loss team is never going to play for the title, and so – if you're a Stanford fan, if you're waking up early out there on the West Coast and you're like, you know what, we've had a pretty good year, I don't disagree with you. And if you're thinking to yourself, you know what, we could actually win the Pac-12, yeah, I think you got a good chance to play for it. I think right now, if I were predicting, I think Stanford is going to play USC for the Pac-12 title, but I think Stanford has absolutely nothing to do with the college football playoff picture Just like Notre Dame, even though the Fighting Irish have had a good season, even though I understand Notre Dame, you bring a lot of eyeballs that otherwise don't pay attention to college football, you are out of the college football playoff, unfortunately, for Irish fans because you lost to Georgia and you lost to Miami, and there's no way you can ever get back above both those teams.
7: Yeah, and that makes good sense. Uh, you can't, obviously, even if Miami and Georgia lose out, like you said, the fact that they both beat Notre Dame makes it impossible that Notre Dame could leap either one of them, for that to make any sense. I look at it, and my big takeaway, when you look at the 11 teams that you mentioned, is I have seen this argument made. I've seen the argument that scarcity breeds competition and breeds drama, but too much scarcity doesn't make any logical sense and we have made this point many times on this program that this should be an 18 playoff I know we don't have that right now but you can't tell me that the big five if you win the big five one of the big five conferences you don't deserve a chance to play in a playoff there's a chance that an potentially an undefeated Wisconsin team doesn't do enough or they have to do so much think, to try think, and get in.
2: I think 100%, hundred I disagree with that. I think 100% chance they definitely if Wisconsin in. is 13-0, they're in. Okay. I think it's impossible for them to miss it. Now, I agree with you. I like the idea of a five-team conference title uh, playoff. Here's what I would say. If, we're, if somebody out there were listening to us and they were saying, oh, you know what, I like the four-team, what's the best argument they could make? The best argument they could make is, what if three-loss Ohio State wins the Big Ten? What if three-loss uh, Stanford wins the Pac-12? What if two-loss or three-loss, frankly, TCU or Oklahoma State wins the Big 12? What if what if two-loss Auburn wins the well, SEC? See, that's the problem.
7: Here's the problem. Here's here's the issue. There. If you're going to do what we're suggesting and go to the 18 playoff. I, you, I understand what your argument is there, but the answer there is to get rid of these nonsensical title games yeah, well that, in these conferences. I, I,
2: agree, I agree with you on some level, but still, you would still have three lost teams.
7: I guess that's true.
2: Right? I mean, because, and then the challenge becomes if you do it, you can't do away with the conference title games now because, frankly, I agree with you. I think they're oftentimes very useless. But they make so much money that at this point they're ingrained into the fabric of the overall college football ecosystem, so it's almost impossible to pull them out. So my concern about just awarding automatic conference championships is just this year. You could end up with three-loss Stanford. You could end up with three-loss Ohio State. You could end up with three-loss Oklahoma State, let's just say. You could end up with – I mean, there are a lot of different arenas out there where you could point to them and say – man, the team that actually wins the conference isn't that good. Now, Auburn with two losses would probably make the playoff. You could end up with a situation where two-loss Clemson wins. I just, It becomes a little bit more like the NFL there, is the argument against it. Uh, It becomes a little bit more like the NFL, and so individual losses don't matter that much. Already, frankly, if Ohio State ends up playing for the championship, I I have a legitimate problem with that because Mm -hmm. I think if you lose – by 31 points to a team like Iowa that is not very good, and you give up 55 points to them, you, to me, you don't deserve the right to play for a national championship because your performance in that game was so bad that if the regular season matters, it's not like that was their only loss. Again, if the regular season matters, Ohio State lost by 15 at home to Oklahoma – and they lost by 31 on the road to Iowa, which is not a good football team. To me, that's a bridge almost too far to even suggest that Ohio State deserves the right to make the playoff, and they might be able to make the playoff in a four-team. If we went to an eight-team, there would be a lot of not very good teams that would end up making the playoff. That would be my concern. Now, I agree with you in theory that if you just eliminated the conference title games, that knocks out the danger on some level of the inferior team winning. Here's the problem. Here's the problem that I have in general. I think we are likely to have these college football conference title games. USC against Stanford. USC finished with fewer Pac-12 losses, and they already beat Stanford head-to-head. We know who the best team in the Pac-12 would be if it's USC against Stanford. If it's Alabama, uh, let's say if it's Auburn against Georgia, that game already happened. I already watched Auburn beat Georgia by twenty three points two weeks ago. Why would I need to see a repetition of that game? It doesn't make any sense to me. If Wisconsin finishes 12 and0 and Ohio State finishes nine and three, even if Wisconsin has played an inferior schedule, why would I need to see Wisconsin play a three loss? maybe, and certainly two-loss Ohio State team to figure out the champ? Why do I need to see a Big 12 rematch when I already know that Oklahoma was the best team for the entirety of the regular season? Why in the, uh, in the potentially, why in the ACC, let's say that Clemson lost to South Carolina and Miami finished 11-0, and why does Miami need to go play Clemson when they were clearly the best team? I think that's kind of an interesting question. We'll dive back into this a little bit on the flip side, but let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia. Now find out what's trending, what's shaking in the world of sports. Take it away, Eddie.
4: Well, let's start with Monday Night Football in Seattle where the Falcons beat the Seahawks 34-31. Atlanta improves to 6-4. and four. Matt Ryan had two touchdown passes in the win. Seattle drops to 6-4. and four. They had a fake field goal that didn't uh, convert at the end of the second half and then missed a 52-yard field goal with seven seconds of play that would have tied it. Atlanta right now is the final wildcard team in the NFC playoff picture. Seattle, along with Detroit, are the first two teams out. News from the NFL, where Buccaneers quarterback Jameis Winston is going to remain out of action for Week 12 because of his shoulder injury. Steelers right tackle Marcus Gilbert was suspended for four games for violating the NFL's policy on performance enhancing drugs. In the NBA, the Celtics make their winning streak, extend now to 16 in a row, With a 110-102 overtime win in Dallas over the Mavericks, Kyrie Irving led him. With 47 points. This report is brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay News from College Football where Heisman Trophy frontrunner quarterback Baker Mayfield of Oklahoma will not start Saturday against West Virginia's punishment for his profane gestures and language he directed at Kansas players during the Sooners win over the Jayhawks Saturday. Mayfield is expected to play at some point against the Mountaineers.
2: Thanks, my man, Eddie Garcia with the news there. Remember, we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Uh, A couple of you on Twitter asking questions. Do you really think that Washington State could be in? Yeah, maybe, honestly. Uh, I, I mean, I think they are the team out there that everybody's saying, what, Washington State's still alive? Um, Look, again, I I think that Washington State and USC, to a certain extent, too, what they would need to happen, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you're waking up on Tuesday and you're like, wow, we're still alive, what you would need to happen is you want Alabama to beat Auburn. Okay, You want Alabama to then beat Georgia. You want 13-0 Alabama to eliminate the other two SEC teams. You want Miami to beat Clemson. You want 11-0 Miami to become 12-0 Miami and be the unquestioned ACC title team. Frankly, I think you probably want Oklahoma to go ahead and win out against uh, Oklahoma uh, against TCU or whoever they end up playing against in the title game, and then what you really need is chaos in the big uh, in the Big Ten. Now, maybe you could also say, you know what? I want Oklahoma to lose to West Virginia. Okay, I understand that it's highly unlikely, but if you wanted Oklahoma to lose to West Virginia and then you wanted a two-loss or three-loss champ to emerge from the Big Twelve, I think that would certainly happen. I think you also probably need the Big Ten. Wisconsin can't win. Wisconsin can't win the Big T- Big Ten because at 13-0, they're definitely in. You need Ohio State to win, and you might well need Ohio State to win having lost already to, uh, to Michigan so that three-loss Ohio State becomes your Big Ten champ. And then I think the Pac-12 could be in the mix. Now, maybe – even with a two-loss Ohio State as a champ. I mean, I, I, we haven't had a lot of this discussion, but what about two-loss USC versus two-loss Ohio State? You know what? I think you can make a pretty strong argument that 11-2 and two USC, if they had a nice win in the Pac-12 title game, would maybe deserve to get in over 11-2 and two Ohio State. Let me make that case. If you're a Trojan and you're sitting around out there in L.A. right now and you've been kicking dirt all season... Who are USC's two losses to? All right, they lost to Notre Dame, and they got their ass kicked. All right, that's tough. That's a tough loss, but it's not like Notre Dame's a bad team. If Notre Dame finishes 10-2, and they're going to be a top-10 team. That's not awful. And then also, they lost, they went on the road, and they lost at Washington State on a Friday night in Pullman. Well, I would tell you that maybe the best result for USC – could be if Washington State upsets Washington, then USC could get a rematch against Washington State, and they could cleanse that loss. In other words, if USC came back and beat the crap out of Washington State, I think it would be hard to hold that loss against USC anymore. Does that make sense to you, Jason Martin? Like If you come back and beat the team that beat you earlier in the year— I think for many people, that kind of cleanses that loss. It removes the pallet of defeat, and you say, okay, yeah, they lost earlier in the season, but they're clearly better now. I don't think we should hold that against them. Okay, if we did that, if we broke down USC's schedule in that way, then USC 11-2, and how would that compare to 11-2 Ohio State? Well, obviously, Ohio State's getting a big win over Wisconsin at the end of the season, but they still would have a 31-point loss on the road against Iowa, a team that's not good. And they would also have a 15-point loss against Oklahoma. I don't know about you, but I can feel pretty good potentially about saying 11-2 USC might be better than 11-2 Ohio State. Is that a crazy argument I'm making, Jason Martin?
7: Not at all. Um I you know it's, it's interesting to me I do 100% agree that you would want Washington State to play you again so that you could potentially cancel out what happened in Pullman you on agree that with me night.
2: right like that would kind of cancel that yes. loss out if USC came back and beat them soundly to win the Pac-12 title
7: yeah I mean that was a really good football game that night and Washington State was firing on all cylinders it was in their house they it were clocking. it was a great football game early in the season between those two teams Ohio State got drubbed by Iowa and they lost at home to Baker Mayfield, who actually planted the flag at midfield after the game. So I, I do think that the USC-OSU argument is intriguing. Also, I don't know that this plays into it, but wouldn't you want to have a West Coast team if, you were, if well, it was the close on everything else? Well, the ratings
2: factor comes in. I mean, it is kind of fascinating because Ohio State has managed to find themselves in the playoff You know, to be frank, last year, I think a lot of people said, I don't know that I think Ohio State deserves to play because they didn't win their division, they didn't win their conference, and they lost head-to-head to to Penn State, the team that did. So I think certainly there are a lot of people out there who did not feel like Ohio State deserved to get in, and I think the brand of Ohio State and Urban Meyer certainly plays in there. SC is a big brand. LA is a big city. So I think you're talking about two major brands Duking it out down the stretch, if both finish eleven and two and win their respective conference championships, I think there's an argument for both, both of them. Now, you know that in that situation, it could really come down to those two because if Oklahoma finishes twelve and one or even eleven and two and wins the Big Twelve, there's no way that Ohio State can get in above Oklahoma, right? And there's no way I don't think that Ohio State can get in above the SEC champ or the ACC champ. So what you're really arguing about is the fourth spot there, and I could really see it coming down to USC versus Ohio State.
7: Yeah, I could too. I just That's what I was thinking is the idea of those two teams being such big brands. And if you're just looking for star power, there is star power to be found on both sides, but Sam Darnold's the biggest name of those two schools right now in terms of the way people will be paying attention to him as they look towards potentially the NFL draft. I look at those two schools. I just keep looking at this thing – I wanna see Oklahoma win out because I think they deserve to be there, quite frankly. They lost to a pretty good Iowa State football team that struggled and it was a, a bit tight, down the stretch. It was, it was a really
2: tight loss too. I mean to me, I know who you, to me what you have to consider is not only what the score of uh, who you lost to, but what the score of the game was. So to me, this is a great stat that I love to hit, but like Alabama coming into this game against Auburn, who knows what's going to happen, but the last time they lost by more than seven points in a regular season game was 2010. So to me, there's a difference between, let's say, a team like Oklahoma losing a tight game to uh, a a team like um, certainly Iowa State that surprised them but is a decent team, right? Like an eight-win caliber team. They've beaten some good teams. They beat TCU. Iowa State's pretty good. And and the other team in Iowa that just drubbed Ohio State and scored 55 on them and beat them by 31 points. And again, Ohio State losing by 15 at home, those are big losses. That's not a game where you change one play and the entire outcome of the game can be different. Oklahoma's very close to being undefeated. Clemson, while they lost to a bad Syracuse team, their quarterback got knocked out of the game and they lost a close game. Like, I can see how good teams lose close games. I don't understand how good teams get blown out. That seems to me to be a bridge too far, one that I'm not buying. And that's the challenge, too, about USC. They also have a really bad road loss, but at least their bad road loss was to a top 10 Notre Dame team.
7: Yeah, I agree. It just seems like, you know, I kind of don't want to see anybody from the Big Ten get in, because I don't necessarily think Wisconsin is as good as either of the top two teams in maybe ACC or SEC.
2: Yeah, I think Alabama would destroy Wisconsin. I I. watched that game against Michigan, and I said, my God, if they get to play against a pro-style team, I'm talking about Alabama, and they get to play against Wisconsin, which has a mediocre quarterback— who really is not able to stretch the field and isn't mobile or able to even extend plays, this would be a total blowout. I mean, I I really honestly believe this. You give Nick Saban like three weeks to get ready for Wisconsin, for instance, and I'm not sure Wisconsin scores on Alabama. I I mean that honestly. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Wisconsin. Uh, I picked them to make the playoff before the season started. I was one of the few people who did. I picked Wisconsin to win the Big Ten. But that pro-style offense going up against Nick Saban's defense, they're not going to be able to run the football. That's just a a given. Alabama with three weeks to prepare against a pro-style offense, you're not going to be able to run the football. You need a dynamic quarterback who can extend plays and make throws down the field. Wisconsin doesn't have it. That's the best possible matchup for Alabama to get. So I don't see Wisconsin as being able to be capable. Now, I've said this from the get-go. Maybe we need to get to this in the final segment. Who could actually beat Alabama? I think Auburn can. I think Alabama, and I want to get to this in the final segment. I'll tell you what Alabama's final most difficult game is. It's on the road against Auburn. That's the biggest obstacle Alabama has to winning a national championship. It's tougher than the game against Georgia would be, and it's tougher than either of the playoff games would be, I believe. But there is one team capable of beating Alabama. I'll tell you who that is next here on OutKick, the Cover. Great news. Quick way you could save money, switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As well, with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, and on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Jason Martin, are you with me in the way that I broke down that Alabama Wisconsin potential matchup that the Badgers would be absolute? dead on arrival for that game
7: yeah I mean as an Alabama fan that one would be the most appetizing matchup just from that standpoint from watching a football game that would be a hideous hideous beating that Alabama would lay on Wisconsin no disrespect past the obvious disrespect to Wisconsin they're just not Alabama the game I'm scared of is the one you mentioned right before the break as an Alabama fan that's right now wearing a 2012 national championship shirt that auburn team scares me to death right now because they're they're huge up front their defense is really playing well that quarterback is a little bit terrifying jared stidham i'm just and i and i love their running attack as well like right now that's the one team i look at that i'm afraid of i'm not really afraid of georgia anymore i'm not afraid of miami i don't think clemson is quite what they were obviously a season ago oklahoma i think would be intriguing but their defense obviously leaves a lot to be desired there. Auburn's the one that scares me right now.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I, I I think that that's totally true. I mean, the line is opened. It's around four-ish on that line, continues to move, bounce around. Alabama's a four-point favorite. We know how big of a rivalry game that is. I think that Auburn has the best chance to get Alabama of any team potentially left on their schedule. I don't think Georgia and Jake Fromm have the horses, have the ability to make plays down the field. I think Alabama would kind of anaconda the Georgia Bulldog football team, put them to sleep a little bit. I do think once you got into the playoff that if Oklahoma were there, they have a difference maker at quarterback. Now, you can be upset about Baker Mayfield planting the flag. You can be upset about him grabbing his crotch. What Baker Mayfield does on the football field is he's a difference maker. He is as close to Baker Mayfield as exists among the contenders this year. To
7: Manziel, you mean?
2: Uh, no, no. To, to did I say Baker Mayfield? Yeah. I meant he's as close to Deshaun Watson. Watson. I mean, okay. That, that the only reason why Alabama lost last year was because Deshaun Watson had transcendent abilities. Um, there is no doubt at all, right? Like he is a total difference maker when he's on the field. He extends plays. He can make unbelievable throws, he's mobile, he can get a first down with his legs if he needs to. If you go back and watch that game, the last two years that he played against Alabama, Deshaun Watson had tremendous success. It was one reason that you and I, Jason Martin, both liked him in this year's draft because Nick Saban runs an NFL pro-style offense and we saw for two straight years Deshaun Watson pick apart Nick Saban's team. And so as a result, I felt somewhat confident in Deshaun Watson being decent against Alabama's defense. Now, I'm not sure that Baker Mayfield is anywhere near as good as Deshaun Watson. I'm not sure that he could make plays in the same way, but I know that he could, and he's the only quarterback I see. I don't buy into anybody else on any of the contending teams as being such a difference maker at the quarterback position that they could leave Nick Saban like pulling his hair out and throwing his headset. Are you with me that of the quarterbacks in the playoff contending teams – Baker Mayfield is the only one that would probably make Nick Saban just a little bit nervous. And by the way, doesn't mean Baker Mayfield's not going to come out and throw five interceptions and get his team blown out going up against Alabama. I think that certainly could happen, but I think Baker Mayfield's got that Johnny Manziel. He's got that Deshaun Watson. He's got that Tim Tebow. He has the ability to make plays in a way that beats the Alabama defense. Alabama's not going to beat itself. You typically have to beat them. And I think Baker Mayfield has the ability to beat Alabama.
7: I agree, and that's why I mentioned Manziel and thought that might have been who you were talking about in that situation because all the guys that you just mentioned in a large effect look like they draw plays in the dirt sometimes, and they can pull themselves out of trouble. They can escape when they have to. They can make just wizard plays out there on the field and the one thing that scares me against a team like Oklahoma is Baker Mayfield intermediate passing because the Alabama linebackers maybe not quite as fast not quite as dynamic as we've seen in previous years he might be able to pick them apart in that like 8 to 15 16 yard range and not have to deal with Maka Fitzpatrick and some of the guys deeper down in the secondary that might make it a little bit easier for Oklahoma but absolutely The potential and likely Heisman Trophy winner is definitely the most dangerous quarterback that Alabama could face in the playoff.
2: There's no doubt. And look, I mean, that is your college football kind of breakdown as we get ready for what I think is going to be a pretty scintillating Thursday, Friday, Saturday, final week of the regular season. There are 11 teams alive. If you're just waking up right now and you're scratching your head, you're like 11 teams Go back and listen to the podcast. I guarantee you'll love it. It'll probably be the best breakdown you hear of the college football situation as we enter the final week of the regular season. 11 teams. Yes, I mean it. In the SEC, there are three teams still alive. Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia. In the ACC, Miami, and certainly Clemson. In the Big 12, everybody knows Oklahoma. I would say that TCU is on the periphery there, just hanging on by their fingernails. In the Big 10, Certainly uh, certainly Wisconsin, which is still undefeated, but also Ohio State is like the villain that won't quite die. They are still alive to potentially make the playoff. And in the Pac-12, a place where a lot of people, frankly, already said, man, there's no way that any Pac-12 team could still be alive. I'm telling you that I like 11-2 USC's argument better than I do 11-2 Ohio State's argument. And even Washington State could be alive if they could get the upset in the Apple Cup and beat Washington. That is about as good of a breakdown as I can give of everything that's out there in the college football playoff. We'll obviously get the college football playoff rankings tonight. We'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow, Uh, I'm sure. I'm going to be out. Jason Martin will be hosting with Jeff Shorts, and we've actually got Jeff Shorts joining us here in hour three to break down all of that. If you haven't heard it yet, LeVar Ball went on CNN last night, and he was uh, Lavar Ball esque. We've got the one minute and forty five second highlight version, highlight in quotation marks there, of his analysis of Donald Trump saving the uh, saving Langelo Ball and the two other UCLA players from Chinese Prison. We'll also break down Monday Night Football, kind of put into context what we believe we learned in the Atlanta Falcons against the Seattle Seahawks. All of that coming in Hour 3. And again, like I said, Jeff Schwartz will join us as well. Maybe a little bit of Animal Thunderdome in the final segment of Hour 3 as well. So thank you for joining us here on the Tuesday in advance of Thanksgiving. Lots more to come still here in Hour 3. Are the Falcons in the playoffs for good now? Do we think they'll stay there? Are the Seahawks done and LeVar? All that next, hour three on OutKick. Live from the Geico, OutKick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, Duralast batteries designed to stand up To even the most extreme weather conditions, they're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough, sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Week 10 of the NFL officially in the books, and the Atlanta Falcons got a massive win. I always like to pay attention to the NFL playoff picture as we come down the stretch here. And right now, the NFC is obviously an incredibly competitive Jumble at the top. So if you're out there right now and you're starting your Tuesday as we head into the NFL week 11, where obviously a lot of games will be played on Thanksgiving in a couple of days, first of all, hope you guys have a fabulous Thanksgiving. And uh, for many of you as you start uh, work here, it's going to be a short week. So just make it a couple more days and you'll be in good shape. Uh, right now in the NFC, the Eagles will be the overall number one seed, the Minnesota Vikings and Case Keenum would be your two seed. And the New Orleans Saints would be your three seed. All of those teams are eight and two or better. Obviously, the Eagles are the only nine win team in the NFL. As well, the Rams would be winning the NFC West, and they would be your four seed. And then your two wild card teams would be the Carolina Panthers at seven and three, who obviously are one game back of the New Orleans Saints and one game above the Atlanta Falcons. Right now, three of the six playoff teams would all exist inside of the NFC South. I mean, that's a hell of a division uh, with all the quarterback play right there. Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, and Drew Brees, three guys who have all been to Super Bowls from the NFC South. And then Jameis Winston slash Ryan Fitzpatrick at the other position right now. So when you break all of those teams down, that's where the situation would end. But outside of the NFC, right now you've got Detroit at six and four and they are two games back of Minnesota right now you have got Seattle who lost last night which is why it was such a massive loss for the Seahawks and then you've got Green Bay and Dallas then you've got all the teams with losing records I think right now if I were breaking down the NFC playoff package I think Atlanta is in a lot better position than Seattle because Seattle's injury situation I'm not sure other than Detroit, which I think could end up in a, in a in a competitive situation with the Falcons at some point in time. Remember, I believe I'm correct about this. The Lions, uh, let's see, did they beat, I think the Lions beat the Vikings earlier in the year, didn't they? Yeah, 14-7 to on October 1st. So the Lions actually have the tie break right now over the Vikings. Can the Lions coming up this week on Thursday night, right? Can the Lions get that win over the Vikings? That's a must-win game for the Lions, who have typically played pretty well in Thursday night in those Thanksgiving Day games, even though the the Lions don't have a very storied history. If the Lions can get that win over the Vikings, I actually feel pretty good about their ability to break it down and make that a race over the final five weeks of the season. Other than that, I think the injuries for the Seahawks are going to make it incredibly difficult given how difficult their schedule is for them to be in the mix. Uh, I'm going to bring in the crew right now. Do you guys agree with me that the Falcons, this is a, just an absolutely massive win with that 52-yard field goal falling just a little bit short? The Falcons, I think, are poised to get on a real run here, and I think this is just a seismic win for the Falcons. Let's go around the, the, around the horn here in the crew. Uh, obviously, the Falcons coming off that 28-3 to collapse, sorry, uh, Atlanta sports fans, in the Super Bowl. But now as I look at their schedule and start to break down, look, they're going to beat the Bucs, they should, this weekend, which gets them to 7-4. and four. Then the Vikings come to Atlanta. I would actually expect for the Falcons to be favored there. I think the Vikings are going to be 8-4 and four, uh, at the end of the next two weeks. I think the Vikings will lose at Detroit. I really do. And then I think the Vikings will lose at the Falcons, and everything will kind of be opened up there. Are you guys with me, though, that you expect now in the playoff race for the Seahawks to kind of fade a little bit? I already don't believe in the Cowboys. I think there's a good chance they lose to the Chargers on Thanksgiving. How would you see this playoff picture playing out, Jason Martin?
7: There's four games for the Falcons coming up that are really intriguing. The Seahawks win. Anytime you win in Seattle is impressive. Doing it in primetime on Monday night against Russell Wilson, who usually shows up when the lights are brightest, is incredibly impressive. But they're playing Minnesota, they're playing New Orleans twice, and they're playing Carolina to end the season those are four games against three likely playoff teams or at least carolina's got a really good shot certainly to make the playoffs so the falcons have it within their grasp to do what it is that they need to do when you look at seattle seattle without richard sherman with some other issues not having a ton of playmakers on offense right now they've got to deal with philadelphia they've got to play the rams down the stretch they go to dallas and we'll see if dallas is even still in it by that point if they are that makes that intriguing, and they go to Jacksonville, and we know Seattle doesn't travel well, and Jacksonville has an awesome defense, regardless of what you think about Blake Bortles, and sometimes they can run the football as well, so I think that that one is also relatively intriguing, and then the Rams have a tough schedule too, That the NFC is really fascinating right now, because the Rams have to play they, they lose to Minnesota, which was a big game. Now they have to go straight up to play New Orleans. They also have to play Philadelphia. Then they go to Seattle. They go to Tennessee, which of course the Titans right now are in the playoffs. So those are all tough games. So the NFC down the stretch for these like four to six teams right in there, the teams that aren't necessarily going to win the division, it's really fascinating. NFC is making up for a lot of bad bad football on the other side. At least we have half of the NFL that is going to be very entertaining down the stretch of this year. Are you guys
2: with me in LA? Do you think the Seahawks are done? It's going to be a tough road for
0: the Seahawks with what's left on their schedule and also considering that Pete Carroll's made some questionable calls, Blair Walsh looks shaky. Those are they're the two reasons why the Seahawks lost yesterday, Clay. I don't think it's so much because they, look, I like the Falcons, but they weren't so awesome last night. I think it was more of the Seahawks dropping the ball there. I mean, Walsh could have tied the game with that makeable field goal in the fourth last night. So uh, the, it's it's still shaky for both teams because we're looking at the at the Falcons' remainder here. They got to play the Saints twice.
7: Yeah, yeah, well, and I, I the Vikings mean, and the Panthers. Yeah.
2: It is uh, it is going to be really exciting football down the stretch to figure out who gets those wild card spots and also who's contending uh, in that divisional round kind of four seed, whoever ends up in the mix there. Okay, uh, for everybody out there who missed it last night, CNN making journalistic history. They have banned me for using the phrase that I love the First Amendment and boobs for saying that I like boobs. I am banned, but they had LeVar Ball on, really, CNN did last night for 23 minutes to discuss why he wouldn't say thank you to Donald Trump. This is really where the American news media is. Uh, LeVar Ball on for 23 minutes, and then they had a panel discussion breaking down the LeVar Ball interview after that. Our crew out in L.A. has put together a one-minute, 45-second snapshot of what that performance actually sounded like from LeVar Ball on CNN. Here it is.
5: Okay, so the president, what did he do for my son? The president says that he spoke to the Chinese president. He says that the boys okay, were that informed was nice. that, was nice. that the involvement of the president of the United States mattered. And that then he wanted some thanks. And instead, okay. you said, who, what was he, Trump, over there for? Don't tell me he, nothing. He wanted some Everybody thanks. Everybody wants to make it seem like who? he helped me out.
6: I mean, you, you're trying to make it sound like that. I'm, I'm just saying. That's what you said. I didn't meet with him face to face. I'm, I know exactly what I said, but you you buffing it up like you said that you don't want to say thank you to nobody. No, come here like sound? a man, shake my hand. I was trying to say and it and much, much more evenly than that.
5: He says he helped oh, get them out now, of China. Huh? Okay,
6: if, if 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 he if he, if he paid for the money to, to put up whatever we needed to do, then I would say thank you. Did he do
5: that? So that's the bar. If he, if he doesn't put up bail for the boys, I don't, I don't, then I don't, I don't he doesn't he deserve thanks. Come on. No, it's
6: not. If he didn't put up bail, he said he helped. How would he help?
5: If he helped, I would say thank you do you think the president helped do i think the president helped yes i don't know so do you think he would be lying about help say
6: what you want i didn't see him talk i don't care and i don't know i wasn't there i'm not gonna say nothing i don't know and i don't see and i don't hear
5: so the president of the united United states says he helped and you say if you didn't see it you didn't hear it you don't believe it
6: hey if he said he helped that's good for his mind what do you mean good for his mind? I mean, but mom? why I even got to say that? If you help, you shouldn't have to say anything. If you help, you shouldn't have to make If I help somebody, I don't walk around saying, you know, I help you now. Come on now, you give me some love. I helped you. Man, come on, for real?
5: Well, that's what are good, we
6: doing for each other?
5: That's a good question. I know what he did for you. What are we doing for each other? And instead of saying thank you, what did he do for you me? took a shot at him. What did he do for me? What he helped he get me? your son out of China, where he could have been in jail for a long time.
6: What about some other... Why was he going to be in jail for a long time? Because he stole
5: something, according to the, the Chinese authorities. How in jail for? It would have been a long time. Okay, but carries the Chinese a minimum authorities of three years. was
6: like, you know what? He's okay. He has so much character in 18 years that he's allowed to have a pass for that. Hey, and I got a message for you. What is it? Tell Donald Trump to have a great Thanksgiving, because Big Baller is... <laughs>
2: Absolutely absurd. Now, you know what's interesting about this is uh, I've got three sons, just like LeVar Ball does. I I thought it was fascinating that in that interview, he is just totally making it seem like it's okay that his grown-ass son stole from stores in China. If I took my nine-year-old overseas right now, nine-year-old, he's in fourth grade, and he stole from a Chinese store I would be furious beyond measure with him, and I'm fairly confident that he would never steal again, and he's nine years old. If it happened when he was in college, I would lose my mind over it. So the fact that LeVar Ball is just totally excusing his son, who has created this entire situation to begin with, is, I think, really strange. I think it's really strange behavior from LeVar Ball, because all he had to do here was, look, I understand if you don't like the president. I understand if you think that he's racist or sexist or misogynistic or you think he's a homophobe or whatever, whatever reason you want to dislike the president for. You can do that. But how does that mean that you shouldn't also thank the president when he gets your idiot son out of jail or in any way assists? I have three boys. If one of them was facing years in a Chinese prison, and or they were just having difficulty in China and they couldn't get back into our country, and the President of the United States, who has billions of things, literally billions of things that he could be doing that people are demanding his help for, took the time to do anything at all to help my idiot son get back into the country, I would say thank you. And I don't think that's remotely controversial. If somebody does something for you that they don't have to do, and that's clearly the case here with Donald Trump, then you thank them for their effort on your behalf. Now, would it be better if Donald Trump didn't have to say, go on Twitter and say, hey, thank me for my work? Yes, certainly. But just as basic human decency, LeVar Ball should have publicly thanked Donald Trump. I mean, honestly, if he wants the big baller brand to get bigger, he should have embraced Donald Trump. He should have sent Donald Trump some sneakers. He should have sent Donald Trump some t-shirts. I think LeVar Ball totally misplayed this by trying to not give Donald Trump credit because he manages to make Donald Trump look reasonable in that entire interview. I think if you have a functional brain, you have to be on Donald Trump's side in this ridiculous spat. And by the way, CNN is dead. The fact that they put this guy on for 23 minutes to talk this story and then had a panel to discuss it is proof that you honestly can't trust the news media anymore. They exist to make money. They're going to do whatever gets them the better ratings. That's fine. But don't pretend that you're some holier-than-thou institution when you effectively are held hostage by ratings and are going to put on whatever rates the best. You're not in the business of the public interest. You're not in the business of journalism. You're in the business of making money. That's fine, but don't hide behind the truth of what you're doing at CNN, at Fox News, at MSNBC, everywhere out there. Journalism is not about serving the public interest. It's about making money. And that's why I always say you guys have to follow aggressively all of these stories and not allow yourself to get trapped in the absurdity. All right, let's dive back into actual sports news, the NFL. We're going to break it down with my guy, Jeff Schwartz. He's guest hosting on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday with Jason Martin. He's going to join us right now and give you a little preview of what you're going to hear the next couple of days. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. This NFL discussion with Jeff Schwartz brought to you by our friends at TrueCar. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Jeff Schwartz with us now. Uh, Jeff, let's start here. AFC playoff picture. Jason Martin and I have been going back and forth dueling over Alex Smith for a while. Are the Chiefs in trouble?
8: Yeah, they're in trouble. <laughs> they played terribly the last five games, uh, minus the, the Raiders game, but the offense played well, the defense said did. Um, yeah, you, you have to feel they're a little bit in trouble. Right now the Steelers and Patriots have started to really separate themselves. However, if you're a Chiefs fan, and I am, my brother plays for the Chiefs, you have to hope and, and wish or want that the first five weeks of the season the Kansas City Chiefs shows back up, which were dominant offense, uh you know defensively just doing enough but right now it looks like Alex Smith has reverted back a little bit defensively still can't stop the run can't rush the passer uh hopefully Dee Ford and Tom Bali can come play soon and help the pass rush uh they have a lot of problems but like I said you have to hope that they can return to form of the first five weeks and that team can win the AFC the team now cannot
2: uh the Pittsburgh Steelers and New England Patriots are the two best unquestioned teams I think in the AFC can anybody other than Pittsburgh or New England, based on what we have seen through 10 weeks of the season, win the AFC?
8: No. I, I will say this, and this is kind of weird to say. Um, you know, The way Jacksonville is playing defense, it will always keep them in the game. Um, I will never trust Blake Bortles to win a football game uh, against the Patriots or against the Steelers, but that defense plays well enough. It can keep them in a game long enough to where possibly – uh, Bortles can do something to help them win, or the run game can do something. Uh, but that defense is playing at such a high level right now that it will give them a chance, at least, against the Patriots, against the Steelers, against the Chiefs, whoever they're, they're in them playing. They'll give them a chance to be competitive. But I can never say that Blake Bortles will win a football game, You know, win, win a playoff game for those guys.
2: As a result of the fact that, obviously, there's a top-heavy part of the AFC with the Steelers and the Patriots there are right now only five teams in the AFC that have winning records and you know two of those I don't know how good they are the Chiefs and the and the Titans but that's it of the other 11 teams is this first of all is this as bad as you remember seeing a conference in the NFL to only have 10 weeks in to only have five teams with winning records
8: I mean, Carolina made the playoffs at 7 8 and 1 a couple of years ago, so it's, it could be worse. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, no, I mean, I think that we're seeing a lot of injuries in the NFL this year. We're seeing some poor quarterback play. You know, if you look at a team like the Dolphins, everyone expected them to be a lot better and contend they're not. You look at the Raiders, they switched offensive schemes this year, brought in a new offensive coordinator, has not worked out well for them. They go to Mexico City yesterday, and get, get uh, you know, a couple of days ago, get super embarrassed. And, I just think that you have teams not playing as well as you thought, and that's why it's it's the way it is in AFC. But the top of the AFC is still really good, so if you're a football fan, when the playoffs come around, those, those teams will be really fun to watch.
2: Yesterday, I teed off on Marshawn Lynch for not standing for the American National Anthem but standing for the Mexican National Anthem. And the reason why I did it, actually, I teed off on him on Sunday, and then I teed off on him again on Monday during the show. And the reason why I did it was I said, look, if you are going to criticize the United States government for what it is doing, the Mexican government is like a billion times worse in virtually every category. Human rights, minority rights, uh, police brutality, safety of, of, of citizens, all of those things. So to me, that was a slap in the face, even more so than not standing for the the American national anthem. You agree or disagree? Is this a story that deserves as much attention as it's gotten?
8: Well, this is kind of the, a little bit of the same thing that UCLA ran into, like going to China, and when, when California won't allow them to go to other yes. states. In the, it's in hypocritical. The, you know, in the in the U. Yeah. So look, I, look, I. I think that that this anthem issue was about dead until the president talked about it in week three. Um, obviously, it's still going to be talked about. He's still tweeting about it. He's making it a lot of um, you know a lot of people's business. And I think that this was slowly going to die. Um, and it's not. And it's obviously dropped ratings down a little bit. And you know I think we can get into a broader discussion about ratings at some point. But they seem to be declining about the same level as the rest of television. Now the NFL has been so. Bulletproof for so many years as far as the ratings, they, you know, they keep going up and everyone else keeps going down. Um, so is it the ratings? Is it, I mean, is, it, is it a protest? Is it just natural that the regression was going to happen? But, you know, this doesn't help. And, and now more people, again, will hear about Marshawn Lynch um, and, and the way he handled the anthem protest. And maybe it leads to, to less people watching, which I think is the goal of, uh, of some people <laughs> uh, when it comes to how they approach uh, the anthem uh,
2: protests. Is it fair to say that something seems awry about a locker room internally with the Oakland Raiders? And and I say that because they have on their big national showcase games, whether it was against the Redskins or now on, I'm not saying they should beat the Patriots, right? Tom Brady is playing fantastic. The Patriots seem to have gotten a lot of their defensive issues resolved. But to just go out and get humiliated like they did in a game that they basically know they have to win in order to stay in the mix for the playoffs, it feels like there's something rotten in the Raiders' locker room because they're too talented to be as bad as they've been, and injuries don't explain it totally away, right? I mean, like there's no reason why they should be as bad as they are.
8: No, I agree with that, and and I think it comes back a little bit to the offensive scheme change. I mean, they have an offensive line that's really good. They're still very talented. Um, they finish guys well. They play well as a unit, but they completely switch schemes to something that they have really not done in their careers and they're not good at, which is a lot of zone of zone running. They used to be really downhill running teams. So I think just offensively, they're really out of sync. They have never really um, embraced this scheme, and I think it's poor by the Raiders to to a. If you're you of your OC, you might as well bring in someone who does something similar because of the structure of your offensive line. Um, I think offensively, that's been a big problem. And look, I know there was there was rumblings about locker room issues, you know, related to the anthem. Um, a, a lot of the Raiders have come out and said that's not the case, and it, it could be. Um, you know, I think that we've seen a lot of uh, teams have have just little you know, conversations about about the anthem, um, and uh, you know, it's obviously going to be different opinions, but I don't think it's it's led, it's led to their poor play. I think it's more, at least offensively, a lot of the scheme. And defensively, you know, they have not had an interception to start the season yet. I think mean, it's the longest streak ever to not have an interception. Um, And for a defensive-minded head coach of Jack Del Rio, I think it's pretty unacceptable for the defense to be this bad. I mean, normally if you are a defensive head coach, at least your defense is good. Uh, I can't name any defensive head coaches that have poor defenses. Now, some offenses are awful, like the Bears at times. Jeff Fisher had terrible offenses. But at least the defense was good. So for Del Rio, not having a good defense, that's directly on him. And I wonder if, if this season keeps going the way it is, whether they make a coaching change or not.
2: I think that's a very good question. Okay, we've talked a lot about the AFC. Let's flip it over to the NFC. When you look at the NFC, who do you think is the best team right now? The Eagles dominated the the the, the Cowboys. So let me start there. Do you think the Cowboys have much of a chance, if at all, of making the playoffs this year?
8: No, they're going to lose third thing to the Chargers. The Chargers are playing the best uh, ball in the AFC West right now. If, if not for the first couple of games where their kicker couldn't make a kick, um, they'd be in the, in the conversation right now for the AFC West. Um, you no, know, I mean the Cowboys are done. And look, a lot of Cowboys fans and a lot of people in the NFL really got enamored by Dak Prescott. I think he's still super talented, uh, but he's had a lot of weapons around him, right? He had three, he's three All Pro offensive linemen, not just Pro Bowl guys, like All Pro, the best at their positions. He had All Pro running back. You know, the left tackles out now, the running backs out. He's a, a Pro Bowl wide receiver, a Hall of Fame tight end. He's had all the parts there for success, and he's done a good job with, the, with those parts. Forever. now you lose a couple parts. You can't do anything on offense. Um, you know, Zeke's not coming back for four more games. Tyron Smith may or may not play Thursday. I know he tried to go last night, um, so having him back would be a big help. But that offense just looks dead without those players. Um, and then defensively, you know, they're doing a decent enough job, but, you know, they're on the field for so long. Uh, their offense is not getting anything done. They're they're completely done. I thought they were done. The second Zeke was was suspended, um, and uh, their chance at the playoffs uh, ended last night.
2: I agree with you. What about the Eagles? Are they the best team now, or are you sticking with Minnesota? Are you going with the the Saints? Those are the three best teams in the NFC, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Which of those three do you like right now is the best, or is there another team?
8: Uh no, those are three by far. Right? I think to me, uh a lot of it will depend on who gets home field. If you end up with the Eagles, which they have the one seed right now, end up with home field, you know, having the, the Saints or or the Vikings travel there in the in the you know, the end of January for two teams to go outside. Now the Vikings and Saints run the ball well but still um you're gonna play different on the road, in the cold like that. So uh that'll be a big advantage for the Eagles. Now if the Saints or the Vikings end up with home field advantage. Um, that's going to be uh, amazing for them. And I say this, if the Saints end up with home-field advantage um, throughout the playoffs, they'll win the NFC. Um, I've been so impressed by them. They're able to run the football now. They're playing better on defense. They had a little bit of a setback against the Redskins, but they end up winning that game late in overtime, which is impressive. And, you know, the Vikings, look, I, I think we keep saying, you know, when is Case Keen going to play worse? He just has not. I, I've been very impressed by them. And, I had them as kind of a, a pretender and I changed my mind after the game on Sunday. I mean they went ahead and dominated the
2: Rams. Uh you and Jason Martin are hosting the show on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You, what are the odds that you keep a car out of the ditch?
8: <laughs> I think I think we'll uh we'll have a good show. I, I talked to Jason about this. We're gonna talk a lot about food. I think we have to, right? Thanksgiving? Yes. A lot about Thanksgiving food. What's your first you, round draft pick on food? Oh well I fried turkey.
2: You're a big turkey. I'm a big
8: fan of yeah, yeah. So I, I inject it with Creole with this Creole butter seasoning. And I put it in you know in the fire for forty five, fifty minutes of peanut oil. Um, I'm not a big like I used to be a big side. I think I would go with macaroni and cheese as my favorite side.
2: That's my kids' favorite side. You know what? I I gotta say like one of the th- good things about having kids. You might have noticed this too is that you realize food that you haven't had in a long time. Like, you're like, why did I ever stop eating this? I'll give you two examples. Like, macaroni and cheese is one, for sure. One of my top three that I've returned to. The other, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I mean, like, peanut butter and jelly is phenomenal. Like, I don't know when I stopped eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but as soon as I had a kid again, I would eat one. I'd be like, I hope he doesn't finish that. Like, I want to eat the rest of that sandwich. And the other one that I think is like, like, why in the world did I stop eating this? Grilled cheese like kids yes, love thing, grilled right? cheese peanut butter and jelly thing, and thing, mac and cheese and they're all incredible
8: whenever i make like, grilled i cheese for my kids um i pray they don't finish them so i can finish it
2: yeah like, just, right i mean like that's <laughs> it's, just, it's just
8: bread and american white we use white american cheese it's the simplest you know butter the bread like it's the simplest thing ever and it tastes amazing
2: yeah and you probably hadn't had like a grilled cheese in a long time before you started making them for your kids again right
8: I was, you know, my first, my son, you know, like, say he's at one that has grilled cheese. I'm 29 years old. I probably had a grilled cheese since I was 12. Like, when was the last time I had a grilled cheese? So, oh, dude, unbelievable. Now, you know, like, if we go to, like, New York, they have, like, specialty grilled cheese places. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll just go eat, a, go eat, like, a specialty grilled cheese for lunch. Unbelievable.
2: Yeah, like we were out to eat last night and my kids didn't finish their mac and cheese and I was looking at it and I was like, man, that mac and cheese looks really good. And like, I don't want to take it before they eat it because my wife will be like, hey, that's they're supposed to eat that, but like I'll wait until they don't finish it and then I'll be yeah, like, hey, you're going to eat that? And of course they're not. And I, I dive in. I love it.
8: I gained a little bit of weight too when my, when my kids got to like start eating a, a basically you know like adult food because I just finished with finishes macaroni, and grilled cheese, finished all its food. Yes. And you realize like over a, over a month or two, you know, you have yourself five bites of macaroni every couple of days. You end up adding
2: up just some calories. No doubt. All right, well, do a good job Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I will look forward to checking it out. And that's uh, Jeff Shorts. You can hear him on the show uh, guest hosting with Jason Martin Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, listen, thanks, man. No, take care.
8: Thank
2: you. Jeff Shorts brought to you by Car. With Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used, Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Speaking of confident, let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, right now. Find out what's shaking the world of sports.
4: Well, Clay, on Monday Night Football in Seattle, the Falcons beat the Seahawks 34-31. Matt Ryan had a couple of touchdown passes for Atlanta as they improved to 6-4 on the season for Seattle. They had a couple of things that happened eventful in the field goal kicking team. They had a failed fake punt at the end of the second half and then missed a 52-yard field goal with seven seconds to play that would have tied it. With that loss, Seattle drops to 6-4. and four. On the season, some news from the NFL where Steelers right tackle Marcus Gilbert suspended four games by the league for violating the performance-dancing drug policy. Buccaneers quarterback Jameis Winston is out again this week for his uh, game against the Falcons because of that shoulder injury that caused him to miss last week as well. Broncos have fired offensive coordinator Mike McCoy. They have turned the play-calling duties over to quarterbacks coach Bill Musgrave. And uh, finally, Bills head coach Sean McDermott says he still hasn't decided who's going to play at quarterback in Week 12 in Kansas City against the Chiefs. Of course, rookie Nathan Peterman threw five interceptions in the first half. Sunday's loss to the Chargers. He got the start over Tyrod Taylor, and apparently McDermott is actually considering putting Peterman back in the lineup uh, if you believe him.
2: Man, you know what? I thought Nathan Peterman would never have a worse half of football than he had. He only started, I think, one game for Tennessee before he transferred to Pittsburgh. And he came in against Florida, I think it was, on the road. And it was one of the most atrocious halves of uh, college football quarterbacking I've ever seen. And then he topped it uh, in that performance against San Diego. Now, the positive is, I think if you're Nathan Peterman, you know what the worst is. Now uh, you can't do any worse. I mean, it's hard to throw more than four or five interceptions in a half. So we'll see what happens there. It seems to me like the Bills are just acknowledging that their team is awful. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that decision. I mean, they've lost three in a row. Uh, when they were five and two, it was funny. I was on the show and I was like, you know what? I don't buy into the Bills. I don't think they're very good. I don't think Tyrod Taylor can win them a game in the playoffs. I don't even really think they can make the playoffs. And Bills fans just lit me up all over Twitter. Uh, they've definitely disappeared here of late for sure um let's go ahead and get set up here boys we haven't done an animal thunderdome yet this week and i'm told there's some good stories out there so let's dive into this uh animal thunderdome time here to finish off tuesday's show we'll come back with you and hopefully send you off into your tuesday knowing that man is triumphing over beasts i am clay travis this is outkick the coverage on fox sports radio what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. As well, with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, and on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Well, we haven't done it yet this week. It's time. The people have been demanding, they've been clamoring, they've been requesting it. It's Animal Thunderdome.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying time's here. I had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. Sam, you have a what? This
6: is Animal Thunderdome. Thunderdome.
2: All right, I got, a, I got a story here for you. I'm down in Florida for the holidays, uh, and a Central Florida man was arrested for caging and drowning a raccoon because the, uh, the raccoon had killed some of his chickens. This is maybe a weird move by James Miller, but according to Lake County's sheriffs, a woman called authorities and said her neighbor took a caged raccoon onto his pontoon boat and dropped the cage into the water. The woman said she told her neighbor drowning an animal was inhumane and he should instead call animal services. Miller replied, the raccoon was in my house and left the cage in the water for several minutes, killing the raccoon. Authorities questioned the man's wife, who said the raccoon had killed some of her chickens and later got into their house. He was arrested and taken into custody. Should this guy have been arrested for this? Can you not kill a raccoon in this country anymore? I understand that maybe is a little bit creepy to put the raccoon in the cage and then drop it into the water, but yeah, is it that, any better that, to get like a, a a baseball bat and just like hit it in the head? I mean, I, I I I don't understand why he couldn't do this.
0: You have to dispose of raccoons more civil, like, like a, how
2: could you kill a pellet the raccoon?
0: gun. A pellet gun is better? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, to I mean, it put it seems in a like cage this is... and drown it, that's over the top.
2: Maybe, but it's like if you had a gun out in a neighborhood and you just blew the raccoon's head off, it's a lot messier that way. Like, if you got a baseball bat, that seems really inhumane. Like, how could you kill a rac? I mean, in all honesty, how could you kill a raccoon in a humane fashion? Like, could he, is he going to gas it? Is he going to carbon monoxide poison it? I mean, I, I don't know what way like this seems honestly like it's a little bit diabolical to think to do but it's Florida I mean people have boats taking a boat taking a raccoon out on a pontoon boat and just dropping it into the water actually doesn't seem like an awful decision if the raccoon is killing his his uh chickens his wife's chickens then you don't want to release it because it could come back and do it again am I totally in the wrong here to be on this guy's side tweet me Am I, I mean, is PETA going to come kill me for saying this? I think totally it's perfectly fine to kill the raccoon this way. And the fact that he got arrested for doing it, of all the things that are going on in the country right now, we arrest a guy for killing a raccoon? That's a little bit over the top, right? Arresting him and his mugshot is up. And how about the neighbor telling on him? Are you guys both think that I'm wrong here? You guys think that this
9: guy should be arrested for this? absolutely not and like you said the, to me the bigger problem is the neighbor that's the guy i don't trust
2: yeah like you turn in your your first of all why do you care what this guy's going to do to the raccoon of all the things you could be worried about if you're a neighbor you're yeah, concerned but this about is this is this like raccoon.
0: people who bag up pets they don't want and throw them in a lake or a river we've
2: no no this is not the same i at all. This understand raccoon has it's not killed a pet, his chickens
0: but it's an animal though you don't drown it
2: People kill animals all the time. People right now driving into work are going to eat steak. Where do you think the steak comes from? We're going to all from eat the river. turkey. We're <laughs> going to all eat turkeys. Are you telling me that that these turkeys have to be killed in a certain way? I, I yes, I, don't I under- hope
0: so because I don't want to eat their stress.
2: I don't want to eat their stress. I don't even know what that means. Uh, I, I'm telling you right now. I'm totally on this guy's side totally on this guy's side if he wants to he doesn't want to release the raccoon because the raccoon will just come right back where it's already been it was in his house if he had beaten this thing's brains out in his house I don't even know how he got it in the cage first of all that's a story I'd also like to know how did he catch a raccoon I had a tree rat in my house once when I lived in the Caribbean and that tree rat's about as big as a raccoon and it's the most terrifying thing in my life trying to get that tree rat into a box to get him outside of the house i think i've told that story on the air before so the fact that this guy even got this raccoon into a cage is to me heroic i don't i would love to know how he did that um but i have no issues with him if he needs a lawyer i'm down here in florida i can appear in court on his behalf and get him released in time for the holidays so that he doesn't have to stay in jail for killing a raccoon what you guys got
9: clay i have another good story courtesy of our friends in australia aka the worst place on earth Hate you, is gonna it's hate the worst,
2: It's the worst place on earth if you are afraid of animals exactly. Because they have more animals that are trying to kill you than anywhere
0: Robert's a hater against Australia it <laughs> is gonna hate
9: So there was a woman who She said she chose not to be named for this story Who lives in Balcom Hills who says while she was sleeping Around 10.30pm on Monday last week She felt a searing pain And something latching on her cheek She opened her eyes and it was a wild ferret A pure white ferret Had gotten to her house and was clawing and biting at her cheek. She screamed from her bed for her husband, who happened to be sleeping in another room, but that's a different story for a different day. He came in, rushed in, found his wife screaming, got the ferret, threw it outside, and everybody's, you know, happy about it. Unfortunately, the ferret is smarter than they realized got back into the house That's the why you have door. to drown the animal. This is my point. <laughs> oh, no. If you just throw the oh. ferret outside, he comes right back in. He came huh. back for seconds. Thankfully they were prepared. They were able to fight him off and uh, catch him in a box. But, what uh, did they do with it? Uh, they think report him to animal control. Because you he kill was a, it because he was you a You kill pure, the ferret. He you was drown a, him. A pure white ferret, so apparently that's rare, so they decided that would be the mo- the best thing to do.
2: He, wow. uh, I just I just disagree there. I think you drown it. I mean, I, I never really thought about it before, but I think drowning the raccoon was the humane play. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, what else? Okay. We got an update on an old story, I'm told.
9: We do. Now, this is one, I'm not sure. I mean, we've had so many of them. I don't know if you remember this, but we had a bear attack in Colorado while a guy was hunting. Um, ultimately, ended up what happening, the, uh, he went to pick up his elk that he had just put down and a grizzly came in and attacked him. Ripped off his lips and his nose in the attack. Whoa, 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 whoa. The man's lips and his nose? Yes, were ripped off by the bear. Now, this is an old story from about a year ago. So um, I'm I'm sure we've gone over it. It's a great story. Well, anyhow.
2: It's not a great story if you're the guy (laughs) who lost his nose and his mouth.
9: Well, it gets better because since then, he's gone through a series of surgeries, including one month in a medically induced coma. He had one sur- a month? He had one surgery that a lasted m- Hold on. A month? <laughs> yes. It was that bad.
2: That's a long-ass time to be in a coma and just disappear.
9: But it gets better, Clay. So, he had one surgery that lasted 24 hours including his nose, which we said again was ripped from his face, is being ring grown on his arm using a radial artery in his arm in a procedure that allows the blood flow to uh, regenerate the tissue, I guess.
2: That doesn't make any sense. You can just grow noses on arms. I, now. I
9: guess the part that they were able to save is being regrown on his arm. Well, anyhow. so wait,
2: wait. You can just grow noses uh, back. That's, apparently, that they, seems to be revolutionary. Uh, it seems like this should be can. a bigger, no, bigger news story than just randomly showing <laughs> uh, up in the Animal Thunderdome. The, now. The
9: you can grow artery.
2: noses on the arm is a massive story that I feel like needs well, more it attention.
9: Says it's being kept alive, so I'm, I'm assuming it's getting bigger. I, I don't know why else you would keep a half nose alive on your arm if you weren't going to use it at a later time. But anyhow, (laughs) this guy is set to be uh, released fully from medical care in the next month or so. He's 61 years old. Said he's still planning on going out hunting again when he gets out.
2: Yeah, to get the damn grizzly bear that that (laughs) ripped his nose and his mouth off. This is like Moby Dick. I'm doing whatever it takes to find that grizzly bear, and I'm taking him down. If he took my nose and my lips.
9: Is he going to be walking around with the nose still on his arm? He says, "This is what I'm coming back for it. I,
2: I I feel like we have buried the lead here that you can just regrow noses now on the arm. That seems like a massive story, if that's true. Well, I
9: may have jumped to a conclusion. I mean, I'm not sure if you can or not, but I can't think of another reason why they would keep your nose alive on your arm using the radial artery. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, unless you were going to use it later. This is a,
2: I, I, This is one of the most unbelievable. This is like when I found out that Native American men couldn't go bald. This is one of those stories that I feel like, how is not everybody talking about this? We should have done the whole show on noses being able to be regrown on the arms. To hell with LeVar Ball. Got to figure out what's going on here. Man, I'm rooting for that guy to go get that grizzly bear and kill him. I would watch that show. I would watch that reality show of just him trying to get the grizzly bear that bit his nose and his arms off, or his whatever, his mouth off. Uh, a coma for a month? Good Lord. Happy...